Hey there, and welcome to the Oscars Death Face Podcast, where we try to watch all the Oscar-nominated movies, or die trying. My name is Paolo, and I'm your host. Hope everyone's doing well out there. We're in the home stretch before Oscar nominations come out next week. Um, I haven't had a chance to see any movies since last episode, but I do have tickets to see Ferrari later this Thursday, and then I'll see if I can get in an Iron Claw screening on Saturday, maybe. Not that I think it gets a nomination. It's just supposedly a really good movie. Um, I also reactivated my Disney Plus account so that I can finally get to Elemental and maybe Indiana Jones if that ends up getting a nomination, uh, plus whatever else I haven't seen from over there the last year. So if you have any recommendations, let me know. Uh, one potential nominee that may surprise late in the race, actually, is Ava DuVernay's Origin, uh, which opens Unlimited this weekend, at least here in New York. Um, it hasn't hit many of the major precursors throughout the race so far, but it did get a key USC Scripters nomination award for or nomination for adapted screenplay, though notably Barbie wasn't really eligible for those awards. Uh, there also looks to be a bit of a whisper campaign going on amongst Hollywood folks, um, as people like Angelina Jolie, Ben Affleck, Regina King, Samuel Jackson, Dave Chappelle, Chair, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda, Oprah, Barbara Broccoli, J.J. Abrams, Guillermo del Toro, Lakeith Stanfield, Coleman Dominga, and noted Andrea Riseborough fan Francis Fisher have all come out publicly in support of the film. Uh, obviously, given last year's Two Leslie campaign uh, and the rules uh, uh, being adjusted um, you know, as a result thereof, uh, we aren't seeing anything perhaps as vocal as the social media post last year, but we're definitely getting reports of you know these screenings being hosted um, by you know, Ava DuVernay and the cast. Um, you know, I, it looks like the reason this might be the case is because uh, Neon, who is their distributor, seems to focus primarily on Anatomy of the Fall as its main Oscar push of the year. Um, personally, I don't think it makes it the best picture, um, the, it ha- and I think Above the Line is really its only best shot, and in the two strongest categories, it unfortunately has a lot of stiff competition. Um, its best shot are in the aforementioned adapted screenplay category, as well as lead actress for Anjanou Ellis Taylor. Um, and, you know, the reviews you know from people who have seen it are you know somewhat mixed on it, so, you know, it's seems like a quote-unquote important film uh, for the time, but uh, whether or not um, it actually gets in, we'll just have to see if this uh, campaign works off. Um, it did the the one thing to its benefit seems to be it's like peaking right around the time uh, when the um, when when the voting was open. Um, the other big Oscars news this week seems to be a bit of a scandal between the Hollywood Critics Association and the Critics Choice Association. Um, the gist of it seems to be that some studios have said that uh, CCA that they came to CCA saying that the leadership of HCA, specifically uh, President Scott Menzel, uh, said that due to the over who, saying that you know due to the overlap of the members between the two organizations that HCCA could influence the more influential Critics' Choice Award voting, which, you know, obviously are a key stop on the award circuit and you have to give a boost to our film's award chances down the line. As a result, the CCA has basically stated that they will no longer be allowing joint membership uh, between the two organizations and that any members of both uh, will need to resign from the HCA to maintain their CCA membership. Apparently, the HCA has had a bunch of other scandals about voting and, and diversity in the past, so honestly, this is probably uh, for the better. In any case, back to the race, the only major precursors that we are still missing at this point are the BAFTA nominations, which come out tomorrow or today, depending on when you listen to this. Um, as such, you have less than a week to enter my nominations prediction contest. Link to that will be in the show notes. Uh, for this episode, to help you figure out what to predict if you're having any problems with that, I have the dear friend of the show, of the show uh, ContraZoom uh, Contra pod host Dakota Arsenault, on to talk about our predictions uh, nominations and maybe some hope predictions as well as what we'd like to get on, uh, plus a tangent about what 
Wes Anderson since I owed him uh, watching the Wes Anderson filmography. Now, this was recorded like a week ago, um, and frankly, the state of the race, especially in certain technical categories, uh, such as uh, VFX, cinematography, and sound, has changed with the Guild nominations coming out. Um, you know, I also will say I was in a very weird place when we recorded this episode. It was right at the time when I was in somewhat denial that Maestro would make it in, uh, partly because I had uh, basically traded away in red carpet rosters Maestro for May December um, after you know someone a concerned someone with me uh, basically convinced me to put past lives in. Um, so in any case, you know after seeing Maestro dominating all the guild nominations up to this point, um, you know. I will leave in basically my entire thought process of leaving Maestro out, uh, but, uh, you know, for the good content and the hot takes. Um, but, you know, I will say as of right now, which is, you know, the 17th, uh, if you are trying to predict, do not exclude Maestro um, uh, from your best picture lineup, uh, despite what I see in this episode. Uh, anyway, I'll talk about the other categories after the episode, uh, after the interview. Uh, but for now, let's hop into this conversation between me and Dakota on what on trying to predict who the nominees will be. All right, joining me for I guess this is your fifth year since you're you're the guest I have had. I think you've I've had you on every year, maybe maybe it might be four years. I forget if I did one my very my first year if I had a guest on. Um, but in any case, you've been on. You're my oldest guest on the podcast, and you have an open seat to come back whenever you want. It's Dakota of the ContraZoom Pod. Welcome back, Dakota. Uh, we're happy to have you on. Thank you so much, Paul. Yeah, I'm not too sure if it's. I think it's only four years. I don't. Five seems like a really long time. This is my fifth uh, year doing it. So. Yeah, I th I think the first year you you only did it solo because I think you had mentioned like the second year you were like, oh, I didn't have any guests last year. You're my, you're ah, my right, first guest right. or something like that. I do remember. Your hundredth episode was at the end of my first season, and I came on for that. Yes, on yeah, your podcast. Which, by the way, if you're not, you know, obviously, if you're a longtime listener, you know who Dakota is. Hopefully, you're subscribed to his channel. If not, check out the Condo Zoom Pod. Uh, Dakota, why don't you tell folks about Condo Zoom Pod? Yeah, sure. Uh, it is a movie podcast that's been going on for almost eight years now. And you mentioned coming on the 100th episode. Uh, I'm about to publish my 265th episode. Uh, this would come out a few days before this comes out, which is absolutely mind boggling to me that I've been doing it for this long. But it is a movie podcast. It's not just, you know, what's the new release that we're going to review. You know, we we do things like we, we cover A24's, their entire filmography. That's where our last episode was about the documentary you, Amy. You're going to get a lot of, uh, they're ramping up production a lot. So I don't know if you're going to be able to keep up in the future. I, I, I've counted it out. If I scrapped my show and just made it an A24 show, it would still take me like two years to catch up based on the output that they have. Not even including anything that they have to yet, yet to release. Yeah, I have no idea how I'm going to catch up with it ever um unless they fold <laughs> that's the only you don't want to happen anyway continue uh, but yeah it, so we do a whole bunch of stuff uh do film festival coverage uh do a series called make remake where i take an original or a remake whatever i'm sort of feeling uh do oscar coverage every year and paulo as you i come on to your show every year you come on to my show every year uh and we sort of break down some of the the best picture nominees and what the odds they have to win each of their nominations last year you came on with john richards from the red carpet rosters both the website and the podcast and this year i'm going to have the two of you back again we haven't figured out because we don't know who's going to be nominated for best picture what episode it's going to be but yeah it's always super exciting that i get to bring on some very smart and intelligent people like yourself and like john like jeff and pierre from classic movies live 
all these great people that we have such a great community that like I just love that we all guest on each other's show. It's it's been incredible. Especially since I beat you last matchup at, at Red Carpet Rosters by a single point. Oh, let's not talk about that. Although I think we're we're lining ourselves up to another playoff matchup too. Which I think you beat me last year. So I did. Anyway. Uh, we'll see who the superior podcast is, but you know, also, you know, I, we made a, uh, before we hop in. Oh, also, by the way, I started doing movie reviews for, uh, for a class for Cosmo Zoom pod. You did. Well. Yes. Yeah, that's I, another I, big thing we've been doing is pumping out a lot of movie reviews. Uh, we just had our very first Disney review. We had, uh, the first three episodes of Echo got sc- advanced screeners for that. Uh, Kyle, the host of Once Upon a Time at the Oscars, uh, wrote that, but you've been doing some amazing work. You just, I published reviews for you for The Missing and Concrete Utopia, which were both excellent reviews mm-hmm. that people should definitely read. Yeah, I'm definitely trying to corner. Well, one, I'm trying to corner the New York Film Festival markets. I went to the New York Film Fest, did a, did 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 one of you for, uh, did a series of reviews for the for you, Doc NYC, um, and then also uh, also I'm going to try to corner the Asian film market and then also animated films uh, potentially. So uh, I'm looking forward to those. Um, but enough, you know, uh, congrats, self congratulatory stuff. <laughs> um, now there is has been a longstanding uh, kind of joke between us that I have never seen or, or seen very very few, if any. Wes Anderson films. And finally, I made a film bet last year. I lost to Dakota, so I had to watch all of the Wes Anderson films before the end of the year. I was able to do it, finished uh, on December 31st. Um, so yeah, I, I got to say, Dakota, thank you for... for I, I, I kind of made that bet knowing I might have a good chance to lose it just because I wanted to get to finally have a reason to get to Wes Anderson. So yeah, I, I, I enjoyed the watch too. Uh, we, we, we talked a bunch, but um, yeah, I, I, will, I will say my favorite film... Probably Fantastic Mr. Fox, obviously being a big animated fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, my thesis to you, and you can tell the listeners if you think this is correct, is that West makes Anderson makes films about highly dislikable people, um, and and but then kind of finding that like the humanity not within them, but kind of like in the general situation, people who can't grow up, and mm-hmm. there's a weird the artificiality of his sets. I think plays into that where where it kind of it's just like it's just so not real. But then because like the kind of low detached. Um, almost detached, people call it like delivery of the lines and whatever, very almost emotionless, um, sociopathic even to some degree. Um, that contra- that again, that kind of fits in with the artificiality of the of the sets, makes it you know when there is emotion, makes it that much more apparent. I think I will say I watched Asteroid City last. Obviously, I did it in chronological order. Didn't quite get it. I think that partly because I was it was over New Year's Eve dinner, so I was like watching while eating. I was eating a hot pot, so I had to tend to the hot pot. So I couldn't really, really focus on it like I wanted to. So I'm probably going to go back and give that another watch. I think there's some layers there that I'm missing at the moment. Yeah, I, I'm i so happy that you you did this. The film bet that we made, I definitely think it was very favorable to me, which is why I took it up. I'm usually sort of hesitant to be a gambling man. But um I'm so happy that you did end up going through that. I was so worried because the whole year I was like, when's Paulo going to watch these movies? And then like December 20th, you're like, I'm starting it or whenever it was. I'm being a little hyperbolic here. But you basically. It was basically like, I think right before Christmas that I started. So. Yeah, you, you plowed through what was it, 11 or 12 movies in such a short span of time. I'm I'm very impressed with how Look, you Look, I'm it. just prepping for the death race, right? This is getting, <laughs> getting, getting my reaction. Uh, I know you said that Fantastic Mr. Fox was probably your favorite. Did you find one movie was maybe the funniest of the bunch? Because that's, I think, something that is often overlooked is just how damn funny his movies can be at times. The funniest movie. I really like, I mean, it's kind of cliche. Grand Budapest Hotel was really, really good. Um, 
Zisso, uh, Life Aquatic with Zisso, had like this weird, like weird uh, surrealist humor to it. I think a little bit. And speaking of like the way that he used stop motion in there was definitely really nice as well. Um, it's been. I actually I had seen one before. It was Isle of Dogs. I saw in theaters when it first came out. So I might have to go back and recheck it. Um, but. I, actually, I'll go back and say I think Fantastic Mr. Fox just had like the humor to it. I think it had some great um, humor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I will say, um, I think the first two, his first two films, Bottle Rocket and uh, and and um, and Rushmore, not quite as much of a fan of those. I think kind of like the lack of artificiality around the sets um, made it a little bit less like the sociopathy of the of the main characters and the unlikability made it a little bit less tenable to like really. Mm-hmm immerse myself in them um and then um he really hit a stride with the royal tenenbaums of, as far royal as tenenbaums is where, where where kind of like it kicks in moonrise kingdom i think having been a boy scout myself had had some some funny elements to it uh for me um i uh, darjeeling express i don't really think i died with that one i think partly because it being set in india where there was like such a vibrant life around them um obviously there was some emote like the the part with like the funeral in um in, in Darjeeling Express was pretty well done, but that's a lot more, it's a lot less artificial, right? Just because it feels weird for me to say like, there's this very lived in country of India. It didn't feel like a, his diorama. It felt very lived in, right? Mm-hmm. And so I, I think that maybe that took away from that. That That's kind of like my thesis going forward, I think with Wes Anderson films, is like to look for that 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 combination of things. Yeah, I think that that's a great thing to to point out. So I'm so happy you, you at least enjoyed your experience watching them. Yeah, I would say... I won't. I, I won't give everything of his like a five stars. Um, I think he's a solid three and a half to four director for me overall. Um, but def- definitely on the favorable side as opposed to the, the disfavorable. Nice. All right. Well, okay. Uh, that is my, that was my mini uh, Wes Anderson death race. But what are your thoughts on this year's Oscars death race uh, in general? You know, um, there are a lot of films out there. Um, so, so I don't know. I know you haven't seen everything quite yet, um, obviously. But uh, of the things that are looking to be there, how, how what have, what are your thoughts so far? I think this year is stronger than last year, but I would also say that it's been buoyed by the fact that I think the international cinema has been way stronger this year than it has been in some recent years. There's always amazing films coming out in the, from the non-English cinema world, but this year in particular, it really feels super strong. Uh, I so far have monster as my, my favorite movie of the year. And I know it's a movie that you quite adored. You, you gave it a, a amazing review for, for contrazoompod.com, but I've also really loved movies like, the teacher's lounge and the zone of interest and evil does not exist and fallen leaves. Like it's just been such a strong year for international cinema that I think that's really helped boy everything up to the top for me. And it sort of feels that a lot of these movies are making noise in the different awards communities. Now, whether or not we're going to get more than just something like the zone of interest in the best picture race, that is a non-English film. That's probably not going to happen. But overall, like I still see some strong showings from from several international films overall, which is always very happy, and I'm very happy to see. Yeah. By the time this episode comes out, and, and I already recorded all of them, I've done all of the best picture kind of previews of films. I think we'll get the best picture. I will say I think the highs are higher, and I also agree with the international being better. I will say some of the low films are a little bit lower than last year, in my opinion. Uh, but we'll we'll get to those. Um, so yeah, let's go ahead and hop straight into it. Now we are recording this uh, a little bit out from the actual nomination date, right? It's about two weeks before nomination date. We're recording this a week before this episode comes out. Um, unfortunately, we can't record any 
later because Dakota's going back to work uh, as a, on, a working on a Superman and Lois now that the strikes are over. So uh, solidarity, uh, but yay employment post-strike. Mm-hmm. Um, it is currently uh, January 10th. Um, we actually don't yet have the DGA nominees that are coming out today. I might be refreshing while we're recording to see if we can get a live breaking thing. Uh, but the SAG nominees to just announced. This will air on the 17th. And between now and when we record and when... Uh, this episode comes out. Um, the ASC nominations, PGA, MPSC, VES, and USC Scripter nominations will all come out. So um, we're not going to know how those will potentially impact the race. And then even after the, the day after this episode comes out on the 18th, uh, we're going to have the BAFTA nominations, which are always, obviously always like kind of like the last big push uh, to, to maybe influence the race. So um, we're going to do our best to make the best predictions we can. Uh, what we think will get nominated for each category, how those compare to the Golden Glo- Gold Derby, uh, predictions and then hey we may even talk about some films that we don't think will make it but we can dream um, you know our hope predictions as we call it if you will <laughs> um, honestly I've been looking at these predictions I think a little bit too long of uh, like two or three months now that I've kind of talked myself into some weird crazy positions especially around best picture I blame Whitney entirely for that um, so I may need Dakota to go ahead and talk me off that edge so you ready to, to, to bring me off the edge Dakota Sure. Yeah. I think the, uh, just before we start is for every category, I list my five or 10, depending on best picture. Uh, and then I, I sort of either gave an alternate, either one that I think might be in contention or maybe a bit of a, a hope diction, as you called it there, uh, where it's probably not in contention, but it would be sort of my dream. So I will sort of, uh, as we get to these categories, I'll indicate whether or not I think it's a true alternate or just my own sort of wish. Also, I'm going to go ahead and pause. Look. All right. So let's go ahead and we're just going to go ahead and, and hop straight in into the best picture. Um, so according to Gold Derby, the top, top 10, actually we'll go ahead top 11, um, uh, current nominations as of January 10th. Number one, Oppenheimer. Number two, Kills the Flower Moon. Number three, Barbie. Number four, Poor Things. Number five, Holdovers. Number six, American Fiction. Number seven, Maestro. Number eight, Past Lives. Number nine, Anatomy of a Fall. And number 10, The Zone of Interest with The Color Purple coming in at number 11. Um, now, I'll go ahead and just say mine, and then the go that you can go ahead and give yours. Um, I have Oppenheimer, Kills of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, Barbie, Holdovers, American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, May, December, Zone of Interest, and Past Lives. Notably, I'm leaving Maestro out of my uh, 10, so that's kind of like my hottest take, I think, of this entire thing. Um, and then the one I really wish would make it in, but unfortunately I don't think it's going to, is uh, All of Us Strangers. That's fair. Okay. Uh, my list is is pretty similar there. I've got uh, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Barbie, Poor Things, Holdovers, Maestro, American Fiction, the zone of interest, anatomy of a fall, and ah, uh, you know what? I I was going to do past May December, but I think I'm going to switch it to past lives right now. Uh, and then my uh, my hopes. These are not ones that I think I have any sort of actual uh, chance of getting in. It would be the Iron Claw, How to Blow Up a Pipeline, and Monster. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the Iron Claw, unfortunately, right? I think it was a little bit too late, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we didn't have to blow up your pipeline release last year, but then it only actually released theatrically this year or something like that. Yes, it, it was considered a 2023 release. It did originally premiere in 2022, but it didn't meet its eligibility requirements until uh, last year. 
Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. And then Monster, like we mentioned, uh, Japan, a Japanese film from uh, Hirokazu Koreeda. Um, amazing film. Like I said, I gave it a great review. I would lo- have loved it to see it in this year's race. Mm-hmm. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, or you know, fortunately, depending on your perspective, um, they went with Perfect Dates, which is an equally great film, in my opinion, um, for for their submissions. So Monster, unfortunately, I don't think we'll get any love here. Definitely worth checking out. If uh, I, I can co-sign it, it's a great film to watch. All right. <laughs> So kind of walking through these, right? I mean, I think we can kind of, the, the four big ones, right? Oppenheimer, Kills to the Flower Moon, the Poor Things, and Barbie. I think those are fairly safe, right? Like I personally have them making somewhere around like eight to 12 nominations each, right? Um, so it's like some, you know, those those have have love both above and below the board. Now, you know, I've, I've talked about this multiple times in the past. My idea is looking at historically, most films who get Best Picture uh, will have at least two above-the-line nominations, right? Um, very rarely. Sometimes you'll get a more technically-minded film, like Avatar, for example, which has at least three below-the-line nominations. Very rarely you'll get a film that maybe has has fewer than two above-the-line nominations and fewer than two um, below-the-line nominations, right? If there is, it might be something like Woman Talking last year who only got one above-the-line nomination for screenplay. Usually it is for screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, for me, like, I think we can both safely say Oppenheimer killers, poor things and Barbie, they're going to get love both above and below the board, right. For the, for those quality, uh, for those, uh, board, uh, benchmarks. Yeah. And I, I one thing that I, I can't quite square away with mentally is I am, I'm not prepared to accept the fact that these movies are going to just dominate the nomination process because uh, the way I have it set up is a, without revealing too much, I've got Oppenheimer with 12 nominations, Poor Things with 11, Killers with 10, and Barbie with 9. And I purposely took away a couple nominations. I originally had it at 12, 12, 12, and 10, which is just completely unheard of as far as so many films getting so many nominations. You'll normally get one movie that gets like 12, one movie that gets like 8 or 9, and then the next competition is like 6 or 7. You're not getting this many across the board nominations which is absolutely insane and i think yeah. it has to be the fact that all of them have multiple acting nominees potentially as well which we're going to get into but that really does increase your number significantly if you can get in you know two or three acting nominations yeah so i looked you know over the last five ish years or so and the most we've ever seen in one year is 41 I actually have a film bet outstanding with Nico um, uh, on this on the Discord server saying I don't think there will be more than forty one nominations between these. Mostly just going off of historical precedent. According yeah. to the Gold Derby, I think it's something like forty seven right now, right? Which is, Which is pretty insane. insane. Yeah. yeah. So I I like you also pulled back some specifically um, in this case. I I think I, you're at forty two. I'm at like forty one exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely 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 played in my nominations. But again, those very safe for Best Picture. Um, holdovers, right? I think people are seeing this one more like a coda type situation. Very heartwarming film, good above the line nominations, not too much uh, below the line. Maybe an editing here or there, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but but for the most part, it's mostly dominated by strong acting and uh, and screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, American fiction, you know, I think we both have in there. I think this one is one we wouldn't normally have in there, um, but it did win the, the Toronto International Film Festival People's Choice Award, right? That has like a near perfect attendance rate for Best Picture, right? So I think that's the reason people are keeping it in right now. Um, we'll see. I think maybe it might play in the same space as Holdovers, so maybe, I don't know, Holdovers might take some of the, uh, the feel-good nature of it away. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, I haven't seen American Fiction yet, so I can't really talk too much about the quality of it, but 
I, I feel so, I don't feel super confident about predicting it in just about anything, almost everything I'm including. Cause I'm like, well, it won the TIFF people's choice. Yeah. So, you know, it's probably going to be there. That's, that's yeah. really my rationale for including it in everything. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to give it, I have it as two above the line nominations. Um, we'll talk about these later, but actor and, and original and adapted screenplay, which is technically enough to get an, uh, a nomination here. Mm-hmm. Um, Anatomy of a Fall, right? This is kind of like the de facto powerhouse of the international. It won the European Film Awards. Um, it's been getting nominated as the best uh, international film, even if, even if it's not eligible since France did not select it for the international film. Um, you know, I have it at five nominations, I think mostly in above the line. Uh, um, so, you know, this is one where I think, you know, Anatomy of a Fall um, kind of can pull maybe like a, 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 what's it, all quite on the Western front like last year. Yeah, maybe that would uh, definitely uh, be something that I could do. Um, kill, I, I think the difference was all quite on the Western front had Netflix pushing it. So I wonder if that's going to, you know, yeah. be a bit of a, a tough comparison. Um, well, but I don't know. Be- I, people seem to really love Anatomy of Fall. I personally was not that big on it. So mm-hmm. I am a little more bullish probably or okay. a little more bearish. I mean, to be fair, right? It, it, it is also the grand, pe- the, the the golden palm winner from from Cannes. It's pushed by Neon, like much like Parasite. So at the very least, you know they can also push it along the same yes. along the same way. A hundred percent. We'll skip kind of the the controversial, the somewhat controversial ones. Um, Zone of Interest um, was, uh, you know, again, I think we both like this film a lot. Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of in, in a lot of ways, it's kind of like the less in my mind, it's the lesser. Anatomy of a Fall, right? If and only that in a lot of places where both are in contention, usually the one will go to Anatomy of a Fall, right? Um, for example, the European Film Awards are one example of this, right? Now, granted, Zone of Interest does have some of its own wins. Right? I think it got like LA Film Critics Circle, um, like top film of the year or whatever like that. Um, and I think it has a little bit more um, going for it in the technical categories. Mm-hmm. Um, so who knows? Um I think, you know, it being an A24 film, right? Um, and again, like we said, a very strong international year could 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 get it there. Yeah, I, I think so too. And I think both Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall are going to have very fervent supporters on each side where they're both going to be the number yeah. one film that they're voting for, for this mm-hmm. block of voters. And so that's going to be really interesting to sort of see how that maybe shakes out which faction is maybe a bit bigger and which faction can maybe pull off some support uh, away from other films as well. Speaking of people who put it as their number one film, for the longest time, I did not have past lives in my best picture lineup. Um, And I know a lot of people are calling me crazy, but, you know, I did have some rationale to it, right? My rationale, I talked about this with Whitney on his episode, but to go over it quickly, um, one, you know, it, it released very early in the year, right? Um, Which historically hasn't been great unless you're a really, really big blockbuster like Barbenheimer, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, I, you know, sorry, everything everywhere all at once did, but also everywhere, everywhere all at once literally dominated all of the mid season awards from the Hollywood, you know, whatever award, mid season awards. This one split it with hair, air. So it's like, okay, maybe it's not as much going on in there. Um, and in this sense, sir, and in this sense, I didn't initially have it. I don't have it as having a strong path to victory, right? The only above the line nomination I see getting it getting is the original screenplay nomination for Celine Song, um, which by my metrics, you know, normally isn't enough to get there. Um, and on top of that, you know, sir, it did get nominated by both AFI and NBR as a top 10 film of the year. Logic, however, has been. Every year, there's been one film nominated by both who just miss, which just misses, right? Last year was The Woman King, right? So 
for me, it's like, okay, maybe past lives is that just, it kind of has all of this going. But the more I think about it, it is a lot of people's number one film of the year, right? And that is what, what this game is. So if it's a lot of people's number one film of the year, it will probably get a best picture nomination. So I finally moved it back in. That leaves us yeah. with the question of who to leave out. So, you know, we just have one film that we have in that the other person doesn't. Um, yours is May December that you took that you just took out, right? So what's your logic for taking out May December here? My logic for that is it has just been bombing really hard with a lot of the recent nominations the that industry, have been coming out. The industry specifically, right? Yes, the industry specific award, where the ones that I thought were locks keep missing it. And I just wonder if the subject matter is, you know, too uh, prickly for them to handle, or the fact that they can't tell if it's a comedy or a drama or what's going on. I watched it and absolutely adored it. I really loved it. So I, it, I'd include it in my best picture lineup if it was my own personal one. But I'm, I just think it's losing so much steam that it's going to hurt itself because so many people are like, well, you know, I gotta devote my my attention to. To supporting one movie and what I was saying before about Zone of Interest and Anatomy of a Fall I would say Past Lives is right up there with there's a really strong contingent of people who are absolutely pushing this movie hard and I think that's going to come at the expense of a movie like May December which I think is probably going to fall off Okay, um, so mine is probably the hottest take we'll hear all episode. I, I make fun of Whitney for having hot takes, but um, <laughs> I got talked into this one kind of by myself. Um, I took Maestro out, right? So here's my logic, right? Maestro, I don't think it's anyone's favorite film, right? Um, I think it's a respected film, right? But I don't see anyone going to bat for it as this is the best film of the year. Yeah. On the flip side, a lot of people are going to say May, December is my best film of the year, right? I did a survey, right, um, recently for people's top... Now, granted, the survey was for people in the on, in, in the subreddit, in the Discord, um, of what were your top films of 2023. There were people who gave May, December a a five zero right a four point five a four point zero a lot of people a, a number a number of people gave it explicitly their number one film of the year right on Letterboxd uh, overall only one person gave Maestro out of seventy five people their number one film of the uh, gave sorry out of forty people only one person gave Maestro a five five zero right five point zero on Letterboxd and like one or two people gave it or I don't think even a single person gave it um a uh a, a the top the absolute top film of the year right so again different audiences so maybe take take for that what you will but I just feel like it's not a film people will go to bat for a hundred percent right mm-hmm. there are issues people are, have said with it right they respect the film but is that enough to get it in there it might be a case where it does get in just by being like maybe number four on everyone's list maybe i don't know mm-hmm. something like that um but it could all if it's a little bit lower than that if it's everyone's number six film maybe it misses as a result right um now granted it is kind of crazy because i still have it as getting like um what's it like six nominations uh over the over the whole thing but you know there have been crazy things there have been films with nine nominations that didn't get best picture right yeah so i mean this is a very weird place to say that said it did also help because there were a lot of other kind of like cross-functional metrics that I uh, I, I, I reference what I'll talk about later. But if I move my astro to not being in best picture, it makes all my other metrics work. So this <laughs> kind of like very complicated spreadsheet I have going on works if my astro is not in best picture. So, I mean, 
I might come to regret it. It did, you know. It, it, it I think it is. It's going to. I think it, it looks like it's going to do well in the industry. SAG gave it, gave it, um, you know, a bunch of acting nominations. So you know, we'll see. It didn't get a DGA nomination, which, by the way, th- those just broke as we were recording. Now we'll talk about those shortly after this. Um, but yeah, I mean, I went so far as to. I, I had my Astro in red carpet rosters. I went so far as to trade it away to John for May, December. <laughs> I swear that's going to bite me in the butt, but whatever. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't say I don't put my money where my mouth is. <laughs> I, uh, I've got a few different, you know, ideas floating in my head about what's going to happen with Maestro. Um, first, I think the big thing to recognize is while Maestro seems to have become the villain in the award season this year, Twitter isn't real life. And despite how many people want to bash it on Reddit or Twitter or whatever other social media platform people are looking at, that's not real life. And that is such a small contingent of people that are actually making comments. Mm. The other thing is, is talking about who's going to go for bat for the different types of movies. One contingent we're forgetting about that is never as vocal is unfortunately the old white man group. Um, and but wouldn't uh, the old it, white man group go for Kills of the Flower Moon or Oppenheimer more than they would for this film? Uh, I think they will go in contention with it. So it's going to be together. Maybe, you know, I, it's it's just so tough. And the other thing I think to remember is while we're trying to predict what's most likely, what's doing the best, what's getting the most nominations across the board and scoring points and all this sort of stuff, there's always going to be some curveballs that get thrown in that you're like, wait, how did this get in? How did extremely loud and incredibly close get nominated for best picture it did it's a god-awful movie but it did um is that and i'm not saying maestro is a bad movie or not i haven't seen it so i can't comment on that one yet um but like i don't know there's going to be some movies that get nominated that people are going to be like really why this one really because there's always going to be that every single year in several categories there's going to be these weird curveballs that we weren't expecting or for movies that weren't as well received or didn't make that much money and maestro i think is going to be one of those ones because it's Mm -hmm. got the pedigree of bradley cooper who is constantly nominated by the academy i think he's got like 12 or 13 oscar nominations most of those are as producers but he's got these nominations yeah, I mean, we'll see. By the way, I just posted in the Discord that people tagged me when the the DGA nominations went live, and I told them, "Oh, I, thanks for this. I'm I'm recording live." Whitney just messaged saying, "Hey, let people know I'm putting the color purple back into his top ten. So oh, there God. you go, folks. <laughs> Hot takes. Hot takes for galore. At least I I, I will say. I don't know what's hotter, Maestro being out of of uh, of of Best Picture or the color purple being in Best Picture. Color purple being in definitely. All right, Whitney, you heard it here. That's that's still a hotter take. <laughs> yes. All right. Anyway, speaking of the DGA uh, coming out with their uh, nominations, um, let's move to Gold Derby's uh, predictions for best director. Um, according to Gold Derby, these are Oppenheimer in one, Kills, so that's Chris Nolan, Martin Scorsese for Kills to the Flower Moon in number two, uh, Yorgos Lanthimos for Poor Things in number three, Greta Gerwig for Barbie in number four, uh, and then uh, Jonathan Glazer for Zone of Interest in number five. Which with um, Justine Trier uh, in Anatomy of a Fall coming in six, I believe that is very recent. Uh, it just he just overtook Alexander Payne for the holdovers. Um, speaking of the DGA nominations breaking live, Greta Gerwig, Yorgos, Chris Nolan, Alexander Payne, and Martin Scorsese. So four of the five match the uh, match the um, the Gold Derby predictions uh, with the international uh, nominee w- replaced by um, Alexander Payne, which you know to some degree makes sense. Um, 
and granted, from mine, you know, the four, right? Oppenheimer, Killers, Poor Things, Barbie. Those, the, the big four make it in. Um, and then my fifth, I'm going to put in uh, Anatomy of a Fall with uh, Justine Trier as my fifth pick. Um, and I'm, I'm going to give an honorable mention to uh, Jonathan Glazer. I could very well see him making it in. He's a much beloved director. But I think the momentum is on Anatomy of a Fall side here. Mm, interesting. I am going with the same directors that the DGA picked, Nolan, mm-hmm. Scorsese, Lanthimos, Gerwig, and uh, Payne, uh, mm-hmm. interestingly enough. I, I don't know. I, I just, I really like the holdovers. Maybe I'm I'm overrating it, but I just feel like it's maybe going to do a bit better than, than people are expecting. Mm-hmm. And then my alternate is Jonathan Glazer, yeah. because... Uh, a, I prefer Zone of Interest over Anatomy of a Fall, but the other reason is I think Glazer has more of a unique voice and imprint on his film that is so artistically charged in a way that more so than what Justine Trier did for Anatomy of a Fall. Fair enough. I mean... I will say I I do suspect there will be an, an international nominee in here if only you know as we've seen last year Triangle of Sadness got in here right mm-hmm. um, and then obviously All Quiet of the Western Front has the European contingent so whatever the European I think I think for the foreseeable future we I, I would say we can start to expect a European nominee to get in here right so yeah, that, I, I just picked uh, Anatomy here it looks like yours European alternate would be a uh, Jonathan Glazer which you know makes sense I feel I feel like you know being four of the five I think that's a pretty solid bet. Um, it's just kind of that fifth slot that's up in the air at this yeah. point. Um, all right, let's move to the actress category. So according to the old derby, number one is Lily Gladstone for Kills of the Flower Moon. Number two is Emma Stone for Poor Things, both of which won their respective uh, Golden Globes. Uh, Carrie Mulligan in Maestro, number three. Um, I know you haven't seen her seen that yet. Um, Sandra Huller in Anatomy of a Fall, number four. And then Margot Robbie at number five uh, for Barbie. Um, and then Greta Lee is currently number six, I believe, for Past Lives, though I think she also missed the SAG nominations yesterday. Today, or earlier today um so yeah my five are gladstone and stone of course number one um i do have um sandra huller number three for anatomy of fall uh carrie mulligan who is you know a non-best picture for me a nominee um for maestro and then after the sag nominee nominees i decided i, I for the longest time right there was this stat that the gold that the 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 Volpe Cup winner from Venice and would would if it was a non if it was an English language film would go on to get Best Actress. Now you know Kaylee Spaney for Priscilla, which I saw, I loved her performance. I thought it was amazing, transformative. I had her for the longest time in number five. This morning I finally took her out and I put in Annette Benning for Nyad based off of the uh, combination of the you know, Golden Globe nomination and the SAG nomination here. Kelly Spaney hasn't really gotten any traction whatsoever. Um, this means that Margot Robbie is out of my five. Yeah, I have a sort of a very similar one for you where it's Stone, Gladstone, Mulligan, which Mulligan, Carrie Mulligan is probably Maestro's safest nomination overall. I mean, there's uh, also hair and makeup. Yeah, I would yeah, say Mulligan even the line. Yeah. Uh, And then Huller. And then my last one is Greta Lee for Past Lives. I'm not super confident about that, but I, I think there's going to be a contingent that really pushes her. My alternate being Natalie Portman for May, December. I was kind of flip-flopping in my head of, of who mm. would get in, but considering how poorly May, December has been doing, I decided to put Greta Lee in there. But uh, I think the really the big shocker is neither of us have Margot Robbie in our top five, which I think is extremely notable and needs to be pointed out because like I don't feel confident not including her, but also 
I, I, I like the other five as safer picks. So I, I don't know where I stand on I this. Think, I think this goes into what we said earlier, where we don't think, like, is it really possible for the top four films to absolutely dominate? I mean, yes. you can't take out little Gladstone. So you, like, both Gladstone and, and, um, and, and Emma Stone won the Rolling Globes. I think they're safe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, uh, you know, Oppenheimer, there's no lead actress, so that's not in play here. But then, you know, I think us taking Margot Robbie out is mostly a function of, you know, do we think Barbie and the other three will dominate so much? Uh, I think that's kind of like, she's, that she falls a victim to that. I think it's a very reasonable if you want to predict Margot Robbie does get in, though. Yes. Um, I, I wouldn't fault you for doing that. Um, I'm just sad that Kaylee Spaney is not getting in because I think she was my only Priscilla nomination. Uh, I agree. That, she's that I had left. Yeah. Um, all right, moving on to lead actor, uh, we have Killian Murphy, who won the uh, Golden Globe for drama uh, at number one for Gold Derby. Um, Rad- Radley Cooper for Maestro, number two. Um, Paul Giamatti, who won the comedy Golden Globe uh, for Holdovers, number three. Um, Jeffrey Wright has actually been building team all season uh, for American Fiction. Um, and then Leonardo DiCaprio is currently number five in Kills the Flower Moon with Rustin, uh, with, with Coleman Domingo for Rustin um, coming in at number six on Gold Derby. Um, mine has the first four being the same, Murphy, Cooper, Giamatti, and Wright. I actually kicked Leonardo DiCaprio out. I don't think he he also missed the SAG nominations earlier uh, earlier today, um, which is crazy. But you know, I think people argue he might be one of the weaker parts of Killer of the Flower Moon. Relatively speaking, it's an amazing movie, but relative to the other performances, relatively weaker. I have Andrew Scott actually sneaking in here as um, one of I believe. Uh, I think I have it right now as the only nomination from all of us strangers, um, which I really, really, really want the film to get nominated for something. Um, and this is kind of like, I think it's best shot at this point, um, given the situation with adapted screenplay we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio is my sixth place. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if he replaces Andrew Scott, but I'm going to go ahead and predict Andrew Scott for now. Uh, how about you, Dakota? <laughs> You and I did the exact same thing. We have the same top four. And then just like you picked Andrew Scott, and that's you more hoping that it into existence than actually thinking it will. I put Zac Efron from the Iron Claw for the exact same reason. I know he's not going to get nominated, but I would just absolutely love to see him get in here. That would be incredible. And we both excluded Leonardo DiCaprio. Right before we were recording, I actually just finished watching Rustin. And I quite like Coleman Domingo, even if the movie is just so-so. So I wouldn't be shocked if the final spot either goes to Coleman Domingo or Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. You could probably take a safe bet that it's going to be one of them in the fifth slot. Yeah, what are those three? It's going to be one of those three. I don't think it's going to be F1. I will say Andrew Scott does have, I think, more to him than just pure Hope Dixon for me. Um, no, he, he did win, I believe, the... British Independent Film Award. He's currently now. I think he's shortlisted for the Baftas at time of record, or longlisted for the Baftas at time of recording for Best Actor or something like that. So I think he actually has some. You know, again, if there's a European contingent, they might go for Andrew Scott. Who knows? Yeah, I have no idea. I like. I would love it if there's a bit of a surprise to shake things up. Yeah. Um, maybe the surprise is Bradley Cooper's the one that misses, uh, but we'll see there. Uh, yeah. We might look like fools not including DiCaprio, but 
who knows? I mean, again, this is also the case of do these do the top four films really dominate everything? Exactly. Right? And this will be another way to 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 to, to kind of bring that number down. Mm-hmm. Um, moving to supporting actress, um, you know, we have the so I apologies all season long. I've been calling her the Vine Zorin Randolph. It's the Vine Zorin Randolph, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, one for is currently number one for holdovers. Um, won the Golden Globe for that. Um, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple. Uh, Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer. Um. Uh, uh, Jodie Foster for Nyad, and then Julianne Moore for May December, with America Ferreira coming in at number six for Barbie. Um, I have Randolph at Holdovers, number one, uh, Brooks for The Color Purple, number two, um, Emily Bunk for Oppenheimer, number three. Um, though I kind of, I personally disagree. I think there were stronger performances, even though she has like a very strong performance. I think relative to the entire film, that I think is is a little bit lacking. Um, that might be a Chris Nolan problem. Um, <laughs> I finally put Jodie Foster in for Nyad, um, and then I, I'm keeping Penelope Cruz. Never doubt Penelope Cruz, because she always pops up when you least expect it. Um, and then some honorable mentions. I took out uh, Julianne Moore this morning, right, after missing at SAG. And I personally would pick uh, Taraji P. Henson over Daniel Brooks, but I don't think it's going to happen at this point uh, for The Color Purple. Um, anyway, what about you, Dakota? We are once again on the exact same wavelength. I actually just switched out uh, Julianne Moore for Jodie Foster because of Foster seems to be overperforming in May, December, as we talked about already, is definitely underperforming. And I'm on the same wavelength for you as far as Penelope Cruz goes. Don't underestimate the Cruz because she seems, every time you discount her, she always seems to have her supporters, which gets her into play. She's that obligatory international nominee, I think. Exactly. Uh, My biggest hang-up is Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple. I, I think she's probably the best bet for the film. But overall, I just, I am not very high on the film because considering how poorly it did the box off, uh, at the box office, it didn't play any festivals, it barely got any advanced screenings, and it seems to be people more uh, hoping it into contention than actually <coughs> having Whitney. <coughs> yes, yeah, Whitney being one of them. Um, so I... I I think Danielle Brooks is probably the safest bet overall for the color purple, other than maybe a song nomination or something like that. But uh, I am not high on this movie getting nominations, and I begrudgingly put it in this category to begin with. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it'll get something. I think this might be the best above the line shot. But Whitney, what are you say doing saying it's going to be in best in best picture? Uh, <laughs> Right. And then well, lastly, my uh, my one that I would wish to get in there would be Michelle Williams for showing up. I know she stands no shot, but I think she gives a, gu- a great quiet performance mm-hmm. in, a, in a beautiful film. Yeah. Yep. Uh, all right. Moving to supporting actor, um, Robert Downey Jr., who won for the Golden Globe and for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, uh, Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, and then Charles Melton for May December, with William Dafoe for Poor Things coming in number six for on Gold Derby. Um, I have, you know, Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro, Ryan Gosling, you know, all three of those at number one. I actually still have Charles Melton, even though May December, you know, based on industry stuff, has been falling off. Um, I think he's going to make it in. I believe like the recent SAG one. I think Sterling K. Brown was the other one that they they didn't that they included instead. Um, as much as I loved his performance in American Fiction, I think Charles Melton is a little bit better. Um, and 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 I think for him a nom would be a win. Um, mm-hmm. And then I actually have flip flopped a couple of times. I started with Ruffalo in. And then I took it out when I actually saw Poor Things. I put Defoe in. 
And as time went on and Ruffalo seemed to be getting more love than Defoe, he kind of replaced Defoe. But then this morning, Ruffalo didn't get SAG nominations and William Defoe did. So this might be like a situation last year with uh, The Fablemans where Paul Dano missed on supporting actor in flavor of Judd Hurst instead. Um, veteran actor kind of supplanting the relatively newer actor. Um, I mean... I have no problems with that. William Defoe, I thought was a better supporting actor than Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. So, um, yeah, that's my five. Uh, Robert Downey Jr., Robert De Niro, Brian Gosling, Charles Melton, and William Defoe. Yeah, I I don't know exactly how that's going to go. It, re- it seems like Mark Ruffalo has been getting most of the support, but also Defoe has kind of been. So there's actually a world where I think they could both get in. And if they do, I think that will be unfortunately at the expense of Charles Melton. Who, Charles Melton. I know, I know. He's so great in it. And I have Melton because despite the fact that May-December seems to be falling off, I think everyone, no one was surprised that Natalie Portman and Julian Moore turned in great performances. No one is surprised by that. They're two of the best actors of the last, you know, 20, 30 years. And I think everyone was like Charles Melton and be like, oh my God, the guy from Riverdale is an incredible actor. What the hell is going on here? And so I, I, I think there's so much shock of how good he is in this movie that I think that's going to propel him to a nomination. But also of of note, it would make he would be make it a non all white uh, supporting actor lineup, which is not nothing. Yes, yeah. Um, but I do, I, I can potentially see a world where maybe he misses it and both Defoe and uh, Ruffalo get in. Uh, that said, my uh, alternate, and it's way more of a wish than any center of reality. It seemed like it was earlier in the year, but not so much. And that's Glenn Howerton for Blackberry. Uh, Canadian movie, love it. He gives an incredible performance and it sort of seemed like he was getting a bit of awards attention, but it just, he had no momentum at all. And it seems like it is completely out of the realm of possibility now. All right. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, again, I feel like these are, aside from maybe one or two, the, all the acting categories are mostly locked in, I think. Obviously, most of them being the big th- the big four. Mm-hmm. Um, and a similar thing here, especially for adapted screenplay, right? I mean, Oppenheimer kills the flower moon, poor things, anatomy, of the, and, uh, American fiction, and Barbie are the five for Gold Derby with Zone of Interest coming in at number, uh, number six, um, and then Oliver Strings at number seven. I have the exact same five as Gold Derby, right? I thought I think when Barbie moved out of original into adapted screenplay, that basically locked this category up. Mm-hmm. My for me is I am having zone of interest in over American fiction, but otherwise it's the same mm-hmm. four as you. And I completely agree. It was already seemed like it was a lock for Killers of the Flower Moon, Oppenheimer, and Poor Things. As soon as Barbie came in, that hundred percent locked that in. And then I think it's going to be between zone of interest and American fiction yeah. for the for the final slot. Uh, I know you're you're hopeful and high on all of us strangers. You know, we've seen some crazier things happen where every year it sort of seems like there's one of the screenplay nominations that kind of comes out of nowhere, isn't nominated for anything else, and you're like, oh, That's be, man. I, think, I have it in the original screenplay this year, not not an adapted, unfortunately. I think the adapted screenplay is just too strong uh, of having the big four in there, yeah. right? And in American fiction for the longest time, people actually didn't have Jeffrey Wright in. They thought it would just be a lone woman talking style adapted screenplay for American fiction when it won mm-hmm. TIFF. Um, and so who knows? Maybe if American fiction misses, maybe then we maybe then um you know zone of interest or all of us strangers could sneak in instead um but yeah i mean i think i mean this is also partly like okay me trying to justify keeping american (laughs) fiction in my top in my best picture lineup giving it two above the line nominations in um jeffrey wright and and that screenplay 
Yeah, that, that's fair. There, there needs to be some sort of a path. And then my alternate is once again going back to BlackBerry. I would have loved to. I have still seen really that. need to watch BlackBerry. It's so good. All right, uh, moving to original screenplay. This one is a little bit spicier. Um, so we have uh, Holdovers at number one, Past Lives number two, Anatomy of a Fall number three, May December number four, and then Maestro at number five with Air at number six. Um, given my thoughts on Maestro, I actually took it. I I, I have the same top four. Taking out Maestro, I'm putting Air in as my random. Like, nominated nowhere else. But Air, I think, with Barbie moving out, it finally has space to actually get a nomination, when for the longest time, I don't think it did. Um, mm-hmm. So I think Air will be that random film that gets a one, one-off one nomination uh, in original screenplay. Uh, my hope, uh, hope above hopes, uh, is that Boy in the Heron somehow can get in for original screenplay. I know technically it was titled after How Do You Live. Completely different film. I don't know what the rules for the Academy are. If they can rule it as original screenplay, I would love boy of the heron to be that fifth one yeah i don't know how they're gonna rule on that if they did or not because if they called barbie adapt it then i would have to th- think that maybe boy in the heron is as well maybe, I, don't I don't know i don't think it's gonna happen i, I like like i said i think it's gonna be air i would just love it to be boy in the heron but that's my anime side coming out <laughs> uh so i have the the same top four as you uh i think air probably has a chance as well but uh my crazy out there pick is Saltburn, where it's the only one uh, the only nomination I'm giving for that movie. And that's because Emerald Fennell won uh, a screenplay award for Promising Young Woman. And so I think she's probably got enough supporters that probably like Saltburn, a movie I really liked, um, maybe to get in there. But I could definitely see Air being the one that gets in there, considering I would probably peg it at like 11, 12, 13 for Best Picture as well, because I think it probably has enough of the support to get there as like everyone's, you know, fourth or fifth favorite movie. Okay, I, I I would have it more close, like fifteen or fourteen or fifteen, than than eleven through thirteen, um, based on some other things. But yeah, I mean, I I definitely again, I think I think Air gets in here. Saltburn. Mm, I know it's a crazy pick. I know crazy pick. I I don't know. I feel like the the screenplay categories are a little bit more meritocratic than just purely based off of name checking, as opposed to some other uh, categories out there. So I don't know about that one, but I mean, it, it is an interesting film. And and tell tell us about your uh, you know, uh, we talked about it earlier, but tell us about your uh, your uh, your hope. Hope, Hope Dixon here. And that would be Asteroid City. Wes Anderson's been nominated a, a couple times for sc- his screenplays, uh, and so it would be nice to see him get back in there. Uh, unfortunately, Asteroid City, I guess, maybe came out too early in the year and just really is not picking up any awards contention, even though I would have loved to have seen uh, some support behind uh, Scarlett Johansson and Jason Schwartzman for their performances as well. Yeah, I will say that... You know, again, I was distracted when I was watching Asteroid City over Hot Pot, um, but I think it actually had one of the most interestingly structured screenplays of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, Oppenheimer's probably up there in terms of just how it's like a, a you know the alternate timelines kind of bouncing back and forth. Here, it's like a television screenplay of a production of a play, and then the actual play itself. Right, mm-hmm. it's like a tri-level meta commentary of what's going on, um, which I think is really interesting uh, screenplay structure-wise. But I, I tend to be more like I feel like screenplay has like the element of like, okay, how good was the uh, the dialogue? How good was the story? And then how interesting is the structure? I'm mm-hmm. very much weighted in how interesting is the structure of the film as opposed to dialogue or structure or or story. <laughs> yeah, so, fair that, that, that's just me. Yep. 
Um, okay, so that's all the above the line. So let's pause right here before we get to the below the line. So question for you. I'll, I'll give you time to count it up while I talk. Um, but how many nominations for above the line categories do you have going to the pictures not in your best picture lineup? The reason I ask is because historically, I, I did this earlier this year, there have been about 10 to 12 uh, nominations each year. Um, going to about eight to ten films in best in above the line categories, not in the best picture film. Um, I can I color coded mine so it's easy for me to count. Um, I have two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I have nine, so a little bit sort of the norm, um, and and less fil- films also. I believe it's a little bit more concentrated. Um, again, this is part of the reason I took Maestro out because it makes it easier if I count Mulligan and Cooper as not. Uh, a Best Picture nominee that gives me two more in there, right? Um, you know, um, and that Benning, right, for Actress, I took out for Facility, which was also one. Um, Andrew Scott for All of His Strangers for Actor. Um, Brooks for The Color Purple, not a Best Picture nominee for me. Nyad, uh, Penelope Cruz for Ferrari. And then, uh, oh, sorry, Air. So not, not, not actually um, um, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Uh, not actually nine. I have eight um, nominations. So still sort of, so the right number of nominations, but not quite the right number of films. So based on my count, I have seven. Um, okay. Which would be, let me see, it would be Greta Lee for Past Lives. It would be Daniel Brooks, Color Purple, Penelope Cruz for Ferrari, Jodie Foster for Nyad, Saltburn for Original Screenplay, uh, May December for Original Screenplay, Charles Melton for Supporting Actor, and that Zach Efron for Iron Claw. Yeah, so I mean, I think we're pretty close. I feel the thing is, I think most people don't realize the stat, and so they end up putting, oh, let's just put all, like, fill all of the above the line stuff with all Best Picture nominees. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, this you you got to give yourself some room to include some non Best Picture stuff in here, and I think we did a pretty good job. Maybe not as many different films in there. Um, you know, like I said, I have what six films. Uh, normally, it's closer to like uh, eight to ten films, right? And normally, it's ten to twelve nominations. Uh, we only have like seven or eight, right? I think that just goes to so the strength of the front runners this year, though. I think when, you know, it's it's sort of interesting to look at because I, I look at our supporting actress category and that's the one where we have the most difference, where we both have three films that made the cut um, that will not be in our best picture lineups. And, and I sort of think, you know, historically, if I'm looking at like a list of um, best actress nominees through the years, I've barely seen any of them because most of the time these movies don't end up getting nominated for best picture, which is a real shame. Whereas you look at the list of best actor nominees or supporting actors, Mm -hmm. and there's so much overlap between those movies and what gets nominated and eventually wins best picture. It's so often male dominated movies. And that, that is a fact. I I did that last year. That is, that is true. So actors films usually have a little bit different. Mm -hmm. I think the fact that we have Gladstone and stone and then Huller makes it a little bit better this year, but you know, Mm -hmm. still definitely, especially in supporting actors not not quite as much yeah it's crazy that all five of my best actress nominees i have in my best picture lineup yeah yeah all right so again just advice for anyone making their predictions uh keep in mind that there has to be some number of non-best picture films in your above the line stuff um with that in mind let's go ahead and talk to um uh talk about the uh the best um the, the below the line stuff so let's start off with cinematography of course cinema film um 
currently Gold Derby has number one, Oppenheimer. Number two, uh, Kills the Flower Moon. Number three, Poor Things. Number four, Maestro. Number five, Zone of Interest. With number six going to The Color Purple. Um, I went with Oppenheimer and Poor Things and Kills the Flower Moon, of course. I did keep Maestro in here. I will Maybe that's a little bit biased. I love, like, Matthew Libatik, fellow Filipino, right? I, 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 I'm I rooting for him. And I will say it generally did have some great cinematography, especially in the first half of the film uh, when it was in black and white. Um I have uh I have Saltburn with uh, Linus Sandgren as the cinematographer for um for cinematography uh, as my fifth nomination here. Um, my sixth alternate I will say is a Zone of Interest. Um, uh, Lucas Zal. Um, and I think part of it is that even though the cinematography plays a big part in the film, the fact that it was very static film, very static shots, basically. Um, wide angle shots, I think maybe makes it not quite as something that, that will be as interesting um, nomination-wise. Um, so I think I think that's the case here. I think it's also worth noting, I think all of these nominees have, have previously been nominated, I believe. Uh, Van Hoyte for Oppenheimer, um, Rodrigo Prieto for Kills of the Flower Moon, who, by the way, also did Barbie. Um, I forget who it is who did it for poor things, and then Maestro I mentioned Libatique, um, and then Zo- and then we also also mentioned the Zone of Interest um, being Lucas Zal. Um, so what what do you think? Uh, I'm I don't know if you're you're saying this, but I'm like live switching between my my final pick. Uh, I agree with Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, and Maestro. That I think that's a pretty safe grouping. And then for my last one, I can't decide between the color purple and. The zone of interest. So I don't know what wins out. My love of the zone of interest uh, against my thinking that the color purple is going to underperform. I think you're right about it being so many static shots is going to probably hurt the zone of interest. I think it's going to help for editing, but uh, maybe not so much for uh, for the cinematography. So I'm going to... A live decision. I'm going to stick with the color purple, even if I'm not super high on it. And then my uh, my alternates are ones I would hope for, and that would be How to Blow Up a Pipeline, but also the um, the Italian film La Camera, which is an English-Italian film directed by Alice Rohrwacher, who, if uh, people remember her from last year's Death Race, uh, she directed the uh, the short film that was nominated for, for Best Live Action Film. What was that called? Uh, La Pupille. Okay, okay, okay. That the the one about the students in the uh, yeah that that was very well shot actually. I I enjoyed that the the the, the cinematography of that. Um, yeah, the mirror is just as inventive too. Okay, okay. Um, I don't know about color purple. I feel like it's just such on a downswing. It's hard to really it's hard to really safely put anything behind it. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, I did. I did listen to a. I mean, the cinematography on, especially during the musical sequences. I will give credit to them for that. Um, I just don't know about how. Chris, for me, right? There's, 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 there's individual shots, and then there's the question of how do these shots contribute? How does the cinematography contribute to the film as a whole? Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you think about, you know, for example, um, what's it, 1917 being one whole long, you know, tracking shot, basically, right? Like that contributes to the way the film is, right? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, that, it's a fair choice. It is number six on Gold Derby, so you know, we'll see. Um, all right, uh, moving on to editing. Um, again, this is editing is a very important category because it is very closely tied to. Uh, you have to have a 
editing nomination to be in contention to win Best Picture. So no surprise, the big four here, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Moon, Poor Things, Barbary. I'm going to get tired of repeating that this episode. Um, the fifth one they put in there is The Holdovers, actually. Um, and number six is Maestro. So I currently have um, Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, I took out Barbie partly to help keep the number of the big four nominations down uh, overall. I have Anatomy of a Fall as number th- as number four. Um, I think Oppenheimer, Poor Things, Killer of the Moon are by far the three most likely to win Best Picture. Anatomy of a Fall, I think, can get in with European support. And, you know, now that I'm actually talking it live right now, I just, I, I'm going to go ahead and make a live call on air. I just took out Maestro as my fifth one. Um, you know, Michelle Tesoro did the Queen's Gambit. Some amazing transitions going on in um, in uh, in in Maestro. Um, again, I think the film is very technically well done. I think the screenplay is a mess, but uh, it's technically, you know, Put well put together. Um, I think Zone of Interest will will take it just because of what we just talked about right now. The cinematography might not have been as flashy per se, but the editing is where this film really comes alive. Especially um, since we're going to talk about editing and sound later on. So I'm going to go ahead and put um, Zone of Interest uh, at my number five. That I think is a, a very fair assessment. Uh, I am sticking with. Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Poor Things, Barbie, and The Holdovers. I think those are the five movies in order, basically, of most likely to win Best Picture. And I'm just basically doing a copy and paste of that. Okay. Okay. I mean, that, that for this category, that is a very fair way to go about doing it. Yeah. And then my wish would be How to Blow Up a Pipeline, which, you know, I'm going to also get tired of saying that, too. <laughs> You're never going to get tired of saying that. No, I'm um, <laughs> All right, moving on to production. So this is sets, this is uh, props, and, and all of that in between. Um, currently on on Gold Derby, number one, Barbie. I mean, they they made the world run out of pink paint, so you know uh, that that's a good good enough reason as any. Uh, poor things, number two. Oppenheimer number three, Kills the Flower Moon number four, and The Color Purple number five, with Asteroid City number six. I think this is a case where people not really understanding what goes into production on Gold Derby, so I think they just go kind of like the most likely to win Best Picture and just kind of copy-paste here. I do have Barbie. You know, it is, uh, like I mentioned, all the pink paint. Uh, poor things. The inventive sets, uh, especially for the European countries, are really well done. Kills of the Flower Moon kind of as the obligatory, as one of the obligatory period pieces going on in here. Um, Asteroid City I'm actually keeping in here um, because, you know, uh, what's his name again? Um, uh, yeah, Wes Anderson. Who's his, uh, is it um, Sockhausen? Oh yeah, I can't remember the name of his production designer. Um, but his 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 production designer, um, amazing. You know the the way the set is put together in the desert, like, um, and the way the different layers, right? It all it all works together. I think is is going to get in. And if there's anything that Wes Anderson gets in, it's Asteroid City. Um, also, fun fact here. Um, one thing I looked at over the years is whether how does the per theater average correlate? So every year, you know. Films released in the mid-release, they have a high number, a very, very high number for per theater because there are so few numbers. So you can argue it's manipulatable just by having fewer theaters. But um, every year, the film with the highest per theater average always gets at least one nomination somewhere. And I think this is where Asteroid City gets its one nomination. Um, so that is uh, my place case here. And then fifth, I have Napoleon. I mean, for all the mess of the script that, that really Scott has... The horses, the sets, you know, the uh, the 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 castles and everything. I think you know if there was a place where for a long time I thought Napoleon had a chance at best picture, it would be off of the strength of its technical stuff, and that would include production here. So I'm going to keep production uh, for Napoleon. Um, shout out to Zone of Interest as my uh, 
as my uh, as my sixth place alternate, um, mostly because uh, I was at the New York Film Festival and they gave a Q&A and they said they grew the garden from scratch on the site next to Auschwitz of the original uh, house uh, of the captain that they were that they were profiling. So, uh, yeah, I, I just thought that was really cool. The house is its own. You know, the fact that they set up the product, the house to be able to have the cinematography going on in there, um, I thought it was really interesting as well. It played a part in the film. So I would say Zone of Interest, but that's more like a Hope Dixon more than anything else. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, I've got uh, similar ones at the top, Barbie, Poor Things, and Oppenheimer. Uh, and then I'm really not confident about this, but the color purple, I don't I don't know why I'm putting it in there. I would much rather have your pick Asteroid City because I think do that's it. Do a it. better one. Do it. <laughs> Uh, fine i'll do it i'll do it right. i'll switch out color purple for asteroid city and then i agree with you as far as napoleon goes and so there we go my alternate is now the color purple i would love it to be the zone of interest but i'm gonna do asteroid city just to okay. give my boy west something all right all right yeah i mean i can't go wrong with with asteroid city um all right uh moving on to costume uh this one is again barbie at number one uh poor things number two kills the flower moon number three um and then uh the color purple comes in number four wonka at number five and then uh napoleon number six now this is interestingly a category where it is a very insular category you very rarely get more than one new person uh in a given year so you know i have a, a barbie with jacqueline i believe it's jacqueline west or jacqueline the forget which one which jacqueline it was uh who did a barbie uh poor things uh kills the flower moon as my third one and then i do have wonka i did see wonka yesterday Honestly, not that impressed with the costumes, frankly speaking, but it is Lindy Hemming who has been nominated and won before. Um, and then Napoleon, I have a number five with Janty Yates, uh, who is, I believe, the former uh, winner, I believe, for Gladiator, I think, um, for here. Now, if I could have my pick for who I want to win, it should be Priscilla just because, again – who has the best costumes and then who has the costumes actually contributing to the story. I think Priscilla's costumes throughout the film actually and actually contribute to the narrative of who Priscilla was and how she was affected by Elvis over time. So, and obviously the fact that it's recreating classic looks from Priscilla, she should be in here, but unfortunately I don't think it's going to be the case. I wish you were right. Um, I completely agree with that statement. I have a, I have a similar lineup where I've got Barbie, poor things, killers, and then Wonka. I, I think this is going to be Wonka's only nomination, I believe I have it. Uh, and then for my fifth one, I'm going with Oppenheimer. I'm not super strong about it, but I just sort of feel like maybe every year there's whatever is the movie at the top sort of, you know, gets a couple extra nominations that you weren't really expecting. You're like, oh, okay, yeah, I wasn't expecting this to be in sound or makeup or costumes. And so I think Oppenheimer, this might be the bit of a surprise for it. Uh, just I think also because of, the sheer amount of people that they costumed in such period appropriate clothing um, is, is something that maybe they'll, they'll go for. But I agree as Priscilla is my alternate would love to see it there. Unfortunately, I don't think it's a realistic shot. Yeah, actually I'm going to go ahead and go live going back to production. I'm going to go ahead and swap out Oppenheimer for kills of the flower moon. Just thinking about it. Um, mostly because I think between these two, I think there will be an Oppenheimer nomination. I don't know. I don't think killer of the flower moon, I mean, it could very feasibly get both, but if I had to pick between them, I think Oppenheimer goes to production more. I mean, they said in the film, build a town, build it fast, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, they literally did that for this uh, for the film. So um, it is, yeah, I think that'd be an interesting one. Um, all right, uh, moving on then to the shortlisted category. So first up, we have uh, makeup and hair. So we mentioned earlier, this is 
I, you know, I think this is actually Maestro's best shot to actually win a nomination, a win a category. Uh, Maestro is currently number one on Gold Derby. Poor Things number two, Oppenheimer number three, Golda number four, Society of Snow number five, Kills the Fly Moon comes in currently at number six. Uh, Poor and Out for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume three, which literally set a record and could not even make the sort list here uh, for most number of, of hair prosthetics. Um, but yeah, I mean, I have Maestro number one, Poor Things number two. Uh, Golda, which I believe you know is a film about I think like uh, an Israeli like uh, politician or something like that, played That's by Helen Israel, Mirren. Israel's first prime minister. First prime minister. Okay, uh, played by Helen Mirren, I believe. Yes. Society of Snow, number four, and then my I have a wild card pick here. I have Last Voyage of the Demeter, which is a horror film earlier this year. I think like September or something did horribly at the box office, um, but looking online, they actually made it uh, entirely practical effects. Actually, to create their um, to create their uh, monster Dracula, who's like more bat-like than actually like you know suave gentleman-like, um, and the fact that makeup and hair goes to a Bake Off um, before voting, meaning that the makeup brand, makeup and hair brands are the ones who vote for this. Um, I think the fact that like, they did fully fully prosthetic, fully practical effects here. Um, similar to like the way they did with the whale, they did a you know a fat suit that's 3D printed. Like the I think the innovative part of it is what gets this nominations here. I think that's what's gonna get Voyage of the Meter in here. I could be very well wrong since no one saw the film, but hey, I, it would be really cool to, to see that happen, I think. So maybe it's a bit I of a hope fiction. I saw the movie and I really liked it and I would love it if it gets nominated because I think it would be so cool. I'll see you be um, up on the death face then. <laughs> it's true. I would be. Yeah. Uh, I find makeup and hairstyle and, and visual effects are the two categories that are most likely to have some crazy wild cards. And, uh, and, and Last Voyage of the Demeter would be a crazy wild card. Um, it's sort of funny. Before I, I reveal my picks, I will say... <clears throat> Society of the Snow was a movie I had never even heard of until the shortlists came out. And I was like, how is it in every single shortlist? I've not even heard of this movie. And, it, you know, it's directed by Jay Bayona, who did The Impossible, which was nominated several years ago for visual effects and Naomi Watts for Best Actress. He's done other movies like The Orphanage and stuff like that. So he's definitely like a named director. But I was just so shocked that I had not heard of this movie at all. And then suddenly it pops up on like six different shortlists all on the same day. I ended up watching it. It's a pretty fantastic movie overall. It's, it's you know, not my favorite movie of the year, but I definitely enjoy it more than I didn't enjoy it. Yeah, so, I mean, I mean, it's, um, I think it did very well. Uh, I, I think it's another case like similar to All Quiet, where if Anatomy of the Fall is the above the line European consensus, I think this is the below the line European consensus as far as yeah. technical stuff. Another thing worth pointing out, I believe it just released January 4th, so just over a week ago on Netflix. Mm -hmm. I think it actually beat out May, December um, and Maestro in terms of number of wa of watches in like the first week on Netflix, actually. So I think really helps its case here. A hundred percent. Yeah. And it's got a whole bunch of, you know, well-known people behind the scenes that definitely I think is going to help it. Uh, but yeah, my, my actual picks are, are Maestro, Poor Things, Golda, which is another movie I hadn't heard of until I saw the shortlist. And then I looked up, I was like, oh yeah, this is probably gonna get nominated for makeup. Uh, Society of the Snow. And then my wild card pick, love yours. Uh, but mine is Ferrari because I don't know, flip a coin between the rest of the the shortlist of nominees and, and that's going to be the fifth nominee <laughs> yeah. uh and then my um wild card is more of a shame on you academy guardians of the galaxy i had yep. completely written off the mcu this past year i'm just like i'm done with it and so i finally begrudgingly watched it a couple weeks ago i was like what the hell one this movie is somewhat decent and two the makeup 
and hair is incredible in this movie. Incredible. It set the record for the most prosthetics ever done in a movie, and they are all so unique. It's not like they had a thousand of the same alien or species. No, everything was different. I am beyond baffled and so angry that yeah. it somehow did not make the shortlist because this should have been the front runner to win. Yeah, I think I think the MC the anti MCU bias is kind of like creeping in at the moment. Mm-hmm. Right, so I think I think that kind of way is what ultimately kept it out. Uh, for for worse, frankly speaking, there's no better there. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm biased. I really, really love the MCU. Uh, or not the MCU. I really love Guardians specifically within the MCU. Right, like after Guardians, I didn't watch the Marvels. Right, I kind of gave up afterwards. I will come back like um next this coming year for Deadpool three, just because I think. It Guardians and Deadpool are the last two franchises that have a clear creative voice behind them. Um, it was James Gunn and now Ryan Reynolds, right? So the ones with clear creative vision behind them, I can really get behind. Not really sure about the others for for the time being. So we'll see. Ho- hope hopefully the MCU can recover. I, it's good for the box office when there are there are big MCU films that can succeed. <laughs> um, all right, moving then to the uh, to the score category. Um, again, this is another sword list category. Oppenheimer, Ludwig Göransson, number one. Uh, Kills the Flower Moon, uh, Robbie Robertson, uh, who is, this is a posthumous award for him, number two. Uh, Poor Things is a newcomer. Um, Jerskin Fendricks uh, for number three. Uh, Spider-Man into, Across the Spider-Verse uh, goes to Daniel Pemberton. Uh, and then Zone of Interest for Nikai Levy. Levi? I, no one knows how to pronounce her last name, unfortunately. It's Levy. Yeah. Levy, okay. Um, for number five. And then Thomas Newman is number six for Elemental. So I'm going a bit off uh, off here. So I have Oppenheimer, Kills the Flower Moon, Poor Things, of course, the big three of the big four. Um, you know, uh, and then I have Elemental, number 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 four. Thomas Newman holds the record more than Diane Warren of most nominations in his career without a single win. Um, I think that will continue to be the case here. I mean, Sir Elemental isn't everyone's favorite. Uh, sorry, isn't everyone's favorite um, animated film of the year, but Thomas Newman has respect, I think, within the the, the music brands, and then Boy in the Heron, I think, will be more like one. It got not, I think it got shortlisted at a, at a bunch of song places. Um, I think including the Golden Globes, and then um, Joe Hisashi, right? I mean, sir, I don't think Julia Joby's going to uh, campaign as much, but we have seen a couple places here and there where they were doing some press about Joe Hisashi's score. And this would be kind of, to some degree, a legacy award as opposed to just for this specific film award. But, I mean, if anyone deserves a legacy award, I think it's Joe Hisasi for, for Boy in the Harem. Mm, fair enough. All right, for me, my picks are Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, uh, Across the Spider-Verse. And then here's where we start to differ a little bit as well. Uh, I've got the color purple. Just because it's a musical, I know that's going to get a lot of fans for it. And then Society of the Snow, Michael uh, Giacchino, or um, however you pronounce his name, uh, is uh, who I think is going to sort of sneak in there because he hasn't won a sense up i believe or i hasn't been nominated since up i can't remember what it is but he is a legendary composer in his own right uh and then my alternate once again how to blow up a pipeline uh the score was done by uh someone named gavin brivik who is uh not necessarily new to the industry but uh doesn't have as the same um you know uh history behind him as far as doing you know high profile films okay okay yeah um, I definitely have to check out how to blow up a pipeline at some point, given how much you're you're praising it. <laughs> um, all right, moving on to sound, uh, we have Oppenheimer number one, and again, also worth noting, sound 
I believe last year was the first year it decoupled, but for the longest time before last year, sound and editing went hand in hand. So even though last year there was a break between that that connection, I still think there is a very strong reason to, to if they're in your editing category, to put them in your sound category. So Oppenheimer, number one, Maestro, number two, Kills the Flower Moon, number three, Ferrari, number four, Zone of Interest, number five, Napoleon, number six. Um I have the exact same five, five as Gold Derby. Um, in particular, I'm going to call out uh, Zone of Interest, who I did, if you remember, put in live on editing because um, of that. But the other reason is, in my mind, you know, the, the sound of this film elevates the film. There's the film you see and the film you hear, and the fact that they come together in the way they do makes, the, makes them greater than the sum of their parts. So I think that's where I'm putting Zone of Interest at number five. Yeah, I think uh, I think that's great. I would love a zone of interest win because, as you've talked about before, of just how important the movie that you hear and the movie that you see are, are two very different things. I would love it if the Academy recognized that too. Um, but yeah, my my nominations are Oppenheimer, Maestro, Killers of the Flower Moon, Zone of Interest, and then my wild card pick is the Killer, the David Fincher movie, and then my alternate would be Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning. Both the killer and Mission Impossible, I think, are pretty low on the the probability scale. But you know what? Some crazy things sometimes happen, and I could see that maybe getting in there. Yeah, I you know I, I have yet to see Ferrari. I still need to schedule a time to go see it. From what I've heard, there's not as much racing going on in there as say in Ford versus Ferrari. Yes. Um, which is there's a good reason for that to get the sound. You know, room room cars usually get the nomination. So I think maybe that's where the prediction is coming from. And people just haven't maybe seen Ferrari as much. I mean, the box office has not been great for it. Um, but I don't know. Like, I haven't seen The Killer. I don't have it currently in here. If I were to take out Ferrari and put in The Killer, you know, I would maybe add another film into my to my, to my my count total. I don't know. Um, I think I what's know. interesting is this year there's no war movie, and that's usually a lock to get a, a sound nomination. Yeah, I mean, the closest would be Society of a Snow as, like, a disaster film, but I don't know if that's sortlist. I, I don't have it on top it's of not. my head if that's sortlisted. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, there's no war movie, which is, you know, or I guess Oppenheimer, but Oppenheimer's already in there, right? Yeah, and I wouldn't really call that a war movie in the same way if something like All Quiet on the Western Front is. Yeah, yeah, that's an interesting observation for sure. So, who knows? I would, I wouldn't mind Ferrari, missing Ferrari if it meant the killer got in. So, we'll see. Um, finally, you know, we have, oh, not finally, sorry, we have two more, two more for the non-feature uh, films, um, uh, 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 sort-listed films. Um, we have uh, visual effects. Um, so, you know, currently number one is Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Um, the creator, Poor Things, Godzilla Minus One, which I love to see Godzilla Minus One get recognition, uh, and then Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Um, number five goes, uh, number six currently goes to Society of the Snow. I have all of those except for I'm putting Society in the Snow number five over Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. I just think that people like don't really see VFX within animated films. Like that's still a weird concept for for people to to grok. I think. Yeah, I'm sort of in the exact same boat. I, I'm kind of confused why people are predicting it. And like, I get it when stop motion films get a nomination visual mm-hmm. effects because you really are sort of combining practical effects with CGI together into blend it seamlessly. I'm just very confused of why so many people seem high on, on Spider-Verse getting in there. The animation is incredible. There's no doubt about that, but that's not what VFX is. VFX is not. There is, there are VFX for animated films, right? Separate from from Mm -hmm. other stuff, 
but it's a diff- it's a completely different medium than live action in terms of yeah. how VFX, right? So it's it's really hard for the brands who I think mostly deal with live action VFX, be yeah. they CGI or practical, right? Um, to, to get in there. Yeah. So for me, uh, very similar. We are the exact same picks. Guardians of the Galaxy, The Creator, Poor Things, Godzilla Minus One, and Society of the Snow are my my top five. And then once again, I'm going to do a shame on you to the Academy for not shortlisting Oppenheimer because are they mad that he was going around saying everything was practical, which in my defense was a stupid thing for Christopher Nolan to do because there is uh visual effects CGI literally in the most mundane of small I think, dramas. I think what he meant to say, so he said there were no visual effects shots, right? Yes. That mean that doesn't mean that there were zero visual effects shots. That meant there were shots with zero visual effects in them, I think mm-hmm. is what he meant. And people put put what meant took the no to mean there was there was a lack of visual effects in here. So I think that might be the linguistic barrier in there. I I agree, and I think him saying that pissed off enough people in the VFX branch mm. that that's why they I mean, did not include. It. I think I think there was a, a process where it went from every film possible to twenty films, and from the twenty films they narrowed it down to ten. I don't think it even made the twenty films. Um, they they got pissed off so much. Yeah, which is sort of bullshit, but also like, uh, you know, don't throw your VFX artists under the bus, Christopher Nolan, because you do have them on your movie. Yep. Uh, And he'll need them for his next one as well. Uh, (laughs) Oh, everyone will line up to work for him, but maybe not nominate him. (laughs) Yeah. Um, All right. Moving on to the last, uh, you know, non-feature category for shortlisted, our favorite category, original song. Um, (laughs) Currently, number one is What I Was Made For by Barbie, which is one at the Golden Globes. Um, I'm Just Ken by Barbie, uh, Road to Freedom by Rustin, uh, Keep It Moving by The Color Purple, uh, from The Color Purple, and then everyone's favorite, The Fire Inside by Diane Warren from Flamin' Hot. Um, no 80 for Brady this year. Um, and then number six goes to It Never Went Away from John Baptiste's uh, documentary, uh, American Symphony. Honestly, I just go with the top five that they have. I mean, is it worth it trying to figure out? I mean, the two, the two Barbie songs are going to get in there. They can't mm-hmm. get three, so there's only going to be two. Road to Freedom seems like an anthem type enough type of a song that Rustin will get at least one nomination, even if it's not Coleman Domingo, an actor. Um, you know, Color Purple as a musical will get one song in there, whether it's Keep It Moving or Superpower, uh, which is the uh, credit song. I just go with the one that's actually in the film on principle. Um, and then, of course, Diane Warren. You can't not have a Diane Warren song in, so... Yeah, I, I completely agree with all your reasoning there. We have the exact same list. Um, it, it's I wish I could discount Diane Warren, but she has proven time and time again that just like Keith Richards and Cockroaches at the end of the universe, the Academy will still be nominating Diane Warren for Best Original Song, no matter how bad the song, bad the movie is, how little support she has. And it constantly baffles me every year so until they stop nominating her i'm going to predict her to get nominated i'm just um, sad it wasn't 80 for brady at least that would have been a fun movie to watch around the super bowl you know i i agree with you i have zero interest in watching flaming hot especially considering how like the the stories have been coming out of like cheetos and i can't remember who the parent company is being like oh yeah we all know this story is bs but you know we let them tell it anyways which is ridiculous yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my alternate would have been, I would have loved to see Camp Isn't Home from Theater Camp get in because it's such a ridiculous, 
ridiculous over the top song that starts out as this joke of someone making up a song on the spot and then the movie ends with this dramatic presentation of it and it moved me to tears how this ridiculous joke they committed so hard to it that it got me crying i mean if we're gonna go on Benson, they should have nominated uh all Love is Love from Dix the Musical. <laughs> that would be pretty funny, too. Uh, not safe for work. Do not listen around your pastor. Um, all right. <laughs> uh, okay, so those are all the technical categories. Finally, we have... Um, actually, I am very confident in my predictions for these because uh, I put a lot of work into trying to predict these. Um, so we have the uh, the uh, feature sortlisted category. So we're going to start off with international feature. Um, number one, we have Zone of Interest from the UK, um, Society of Snow from Spain, uh, Fallen Leaves, which I believe is from Finland, uh, The Taste of Things from France, and then Perfect Days from Japan with Teacher's Lounge from Germany coming in at number six. Um, I have Zone of Interest, Fallen Leaves, Perfect Days, Society of Snow, and a bit of a wild card. I'm throwing in Totem uh, from Mexico, um, mostly because the distributor is Janus. Um, I, I have a whole rationale for how I got to my international nominees, but you go ahead with yours, Dakota. Yeah, so I just changed one of my categories to looking at the the updated listings. Uh, Zone of Interest, Fallen Leaves, Perfect Days, we're, we're keeping that three for three. Uh, and then Teacher's Lounge, that's one of my favorite movies of the year. Absolutely incredible. That's definitely more of a hope than than anything. Uh, and then I just switched out 20 Days in Mariapool for Society of Snow. I think that might actually get in. Um yeah, international is a little tricky because you'll usually get about three to four of the nominees where you can sort of expect they come from powerhouse film countries, they come from established filmmakers and, and people that have been sort of making the rounds. And then you always have one, sometimes two movies that you have never heard of. It's from a country that is not known for producing movies. It's not known for having a high profile directors, things like that. And so I think Totem is a, is a really good pick. The other ones that are shortlisted, I could maybe see something like The Monk and the Gun, which was uh, directed by the the director who who did um, Lunana, A Yak in a Closet. I'm actually really looking forward to seeing that one. Yeah, so am I. But I could maybe see that getting in again. Um so I don't, I don't really know. Like, do you sort of agree with my assessment where there's usually maybe a bit of a curveball in the international category? From yes, there is. Expect? But I so okay, I'm going to go through my research that I did. Right, so I looked through the last five years of of films uh, international category, and then I basically pulled what um, uh, about. 14-ish categories. Um, so these are the Globes, NBR, um, AFI, they have a special achievement uh, award, European Film Awards, the Asian Pacific Awards, the Goya Awards, British International Film Awards, BAFTA, the Independent Spirits, uh, and then the three big big three critic circles, the Critics' Choice Awards, and then the Satellite Awards. All of them recognize international films in their own category specifically, or are a regional film, right? EFA, APA, and Goya films. Which Goya, I'm specifically looking at the Ibero America, so like the Latin America category, right? Unfortunately, the Latin actual Latin American awards don't come out till after Oscar nominations, so they're useless to predict, right? Um, what I found historically is that essentially there is a trend where the films with the most mentions across these actually do tend to get in. Um, the ones who are kind of like the wild cards. Um, so, for example, uh, The Quiet Girl uh, last year was kind of a wild card. 
it got in, I think, mostly off of being very late pick. So it was a BAFTA sort. It was a BAFTA nominee, and it also was at satellite. So I got two mentions for it, right? Um, Lunana Yak in the in the classroom that was complete wild card, no previous mention. So that that kind of fits with there. Um, I'm not going to look at 2020 really too hard because it was a pandemic year with yeah. extended windows so that's a little bit weird um and then 2019 honeyland um was also a, a documentary so it got double double look at it and then corpus christi i think was like weird in the it was released technically like a year earlier or something so it had like you know it, it was nominated for other awards earlier like the year prior so it was kind of hard to compete so Based on all of this, assuming the film, like the films that have the most mentions across all of these um, are Zone of Interest, um, Fallen Leaves, and uh, Society of Snow, right? They have seven, six, and four mentions respectively. So I think those are pretty safe. Mm-hmm. For the last two, the ones that are in contention, we have Io Capitano, which is a the Italian submission, right? That got the Globes nomination, and it was nominated at the European Film Awards and the Satellite Awards. That's three mentions. Totem got National Board of Review uh, mention, and then um, also the Independent Spirit Awards mention, right? So that's two mentions. Perfect Days got uh, won the Asia-Pacific Awards and Critics' Choice. Now, notably, the film that wins the Asia-Pacific Awards, if it is nominated by the, con- by the country, usually always gets in. That mm-hmm. was Perfect Days uh, this year. Um, the uh, the year uh, last year, it was not it was not nominated. Um, in 2021, that was Drive My Car. Um, 2020, um, it was not held because of the pandemic. Um, and then 2019 was of course Parasite. Right. So of the limited data, granted it's a limited data set, but I am confident in Perfect Days based off of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Teachers Lounge also has two mentions: uh, NBR and Satellite. Now. It, of these, of the other ones that are not perfect days, so Il Capitano, Totem, and, per- and Teacher's Lounge, only Teacher's Lounge got shortlisted for BAFTA. So there is a chance that Teacher's Lounge could get in over um, um, Totem, which I, 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 I would not be too upset by given how much it seems to like it. The main reason I'm going with um, with Totem is because Janice were able to get yeah. EO and they were able to get Drive My Car. So that's my rationale for keeping it in for now. Um, yeah. if, you know, on the 18th, again, after this episode comes out, you, the teacher's lounge is one of the five nominated films for BAFTA. I'm likely to go back and change my prediction to be, uh, to be the teacher's lounge, I think. Yeah, fair enough. I think once again, my, my sort of my one hang up is, uh, this category is looking very European this year. Yeah. And except for perfect they, days. <laughs> yeah, except for perfect days. And they sort of try to avoid making it too Eurocentric. Yeah, so who knows? I think Totem as like an obligatory Latin American film, I think could 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 be a good. Okay, I think it's going to be between one of those two. Most realistically, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. All right, moving to animated feature. I don't have a big spreadsheet for this, but um, the golden the gold derby nominations are or predictions are uh, Spider Man Across the Spider Verse, Boy in the Heron, Elemental, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, Nimona, and then Second One Two. Um, I have Boy in the Heron. Um, who actually have to win. I have winning over Spider-Verse, uh, which is my number two. Um, Elemental, I think it's like the best performing Disney film of the year versus um, versus Wish for sure. Um, and then uh, I have Nimona as an obligatory Netflix uh, nomination here. Um, 
though I have an alternate for that. And then I have Robot Dreams. So Robot Dreams is the, I believe it's a Mexican or Spanish, it's a Spanish film um, that I did really well at the film festivals. Still has not, does not have a release date in the US, which is not great for it. Um, but, it, you know, Guillermo del Toro says it's great and so on. So I have Robot Dreams as kind of like the obligatory adult uh, animation film, if you don't count Boy in the Heron in that category. Um, my alternates, so... Nimona, I think, could very easily be switched out for Chicken Run 2, um, mostly because uh, the Hammy just has a hard-on for um, stop-motion animation and specifically uh, Chicken uh, Ardman animation, which Chicken Run 2 is, um, and then The Peasants as an alternate for Robot Dreams. Um, again, also has not yet released. Um, I believe it has a release date of January 26th here in the U.S., limited release, but that was by the same team as Loving Vincent, uh, who did like the whole hand-painted oil oil painting mm. uh, frame by frame. Um, so I think both of those are very viable swap-ins for, for the for the Netflix and uh, indie film, uh, so to speak. Yeah, I, I have a very similar list to you. I've got Spider-Man, Boy in the Heron, Nimona, and Elemental as my top four. And then my fifth one, I'm actually going with Super Mario Brothers movie. And there's sort of two reasons. One, I think the fact that it made over a billion dollars is not something that is going to be easily forgotten. Every once in a while, the Academy really does like awarding or at least nominating movies that do really well at the box office, which is why I think Barbie is going to do as well as it's going to do. Um, and Super Mario Brothers is, is in the same boat. It made a boatload of money. It is going to be there. Uh, and then the other thing is, while you've got some some great rationale of like, oh, where's the, where's the indie pick coming from, the non-English one? Uh, the indie, all that pick, is, the indie pick is, is slightly more of a, a hopeful pick than a, than a realistic pick, maybe. Maybe. But, yeah. But the thing that we sort of see time and time again is like, you know, these um, mystery Oscar ballots where, you know, they come out where the, the anonymous voter will be like, oh, the animated movie? I just, wa- I just voted for the one that my kid watched the most this year, which... Once again, Super Mario Brothers made a billion dollars at the box office. Is that, so I know that's the case when it comes to voting for the winner. The question is the nomination process. Does the nominate? I don't think the nomination process is open. I think the nomination nomination process is still within a specific branch or at least a committee specifically that's looking at it. It may be. It may very well be, and that's why I think the box office is going to have something to say about that because okay, they'll they'll be like, "Look, people came out and saw this yeah. movie. We want to reward it." My so, I don't know. One, my one hang up there is that. Uh, I don't think Illumination has a great track record no, of getting nominations. So I think that might be the biggest holdback for them. Yeah. And then my alternate would be Ninja Turtles because I absolutely love that movie. I love that movie. I love the animation and it. it's very similar to what the Spider-Verse movies have been doing with their animation, which is so breathtaking and original. Uh, so I would love to see it get in there over basically any of them. It would be my number one pick if, if it does get in. All right. Let me pause. I have to get the doorbell real quick. Okay. Let's see. All right. Um, yeah, I mean, I love Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Uh, honestly, I love the voice acting more than anything else, actually. Yeah. It just felt very, very New York as someone in, based in New York, right? So I, I just have a soft spot for, for those kind of films for sure. They included um, Pizza Rat. Uh, give me a bacon, egg, and cheese, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. So last category for this discussion. Again, this one I do have a spreadsheet for. Um, it's documentary feature film. Uh, we're not doing any of the sorts this time. Um, I'm not making the code to try to predict that. Though, uh, I'll throw this, this one out there. I think Warner Upon a Studio for animated sort um, as an obligatory Disney one. And then uh, The Wonderful Life of Henry Sugar uh, mm-hmm. for live action. Wes Anderson, of course. Um Maybe the Pedro Almodovar uh, Strange Way of Life as well. Oh, I watched it. It was really bad. It's so bad. Oh, really? 
Yeah, I was I was just gonna go off of name checkings, but who knows? I I felt the same way. But I watched it because I love Elmodovar, and I was like, oh, this movie is terrible. Never mind. <laughs> All right, never mind then. But at least I I will say the Wes Anderson and the Disney film I think are, are pretty safe bets. One, yes, don't you? I agree. All right, that's the extent of the talk for sorts. Let's go. Let's get to our final category for documentary. So first, I'll do the Gold Derby, American Symphony, Twenty Days in Mario Paul. Four Daughters, Beyond Utopia, and still a Michael J. Fox movie with an eternal mem- the eternal memory being number six. Now, before we get to my fi- my five, I'm going to go through my process again, right? Um, similarly, I have, um, I believe it is uh, 12 categories, uh, 12 precursors, which are film festivals, awards, um, you know, so on and so forth. Uh, the Savannah, the, the SCAD Film Festival, Critics' Choice, Doc NYC, Gotham, Cinema Eye Honors, Independent, Independent Documentary Awards, Independent Spirit Awards, NBR, PGA, Satellite, DGA, and BAFTA, which BAFTA only has the long list for now. Um, from here, one thing I noticed historically is that every film since 2018, or almost every film since 2018, that has been nominated in this category appeared at Doc NYC, um, either in the shortlist feature category or in a, something they started in 2019, the uh, Winner's Circle, um, which is more awarding, more recognizing international uh, documentaries, right? Um, the only two films to not be at Doc NYC and, and, and get nominated were The Octopus Teacher. Uh, which somehow got like the PGA, DGA, and BAFTA shortlist very late in the process. Um, also, was pandemic year, so I'm just saying that it was a weird year. And the other one was A Father and Sons in 2018, which missed Doc NYC, but as an international film, very likely would have been at the winner's circle in Doc NYC. So, looking at the the nom- the ones here, the other thing is obviously also the ones that show up most frequently are the ones that are that, that tend to get there. there. There are always some misses, right? Um, so the ones that we have most frequently, we have um, 20 Days in Mariupol has 10 mentions across these 12 of them, right? Plus also the international features. So I think that's a pretty safe bet. That's my number one. Um, American Symphony currently has num- has six mentions. Um, you know that is a Netflix documentary, Higher Ground from the Obamas. John Baptiste is a re- very well beloved figure. I think that's pretty safe as an obligatory Netflix documentary nomination. The other one is Stand from the Beginning, but that only has four mentions. So I think American Fiction over Stand from the Beginning. Um, Beyond Utopia was at the winner circle. Um, in fact, aside from Kokomo City, which was not uh, shortlisted for this category. It is the one with the most mentions from uh, Doc NYC uh, in the winner's circle and also was, I believe, the audience award at Sundance. And the audience award for the past three years has always gotten nominated. Crip Camp, uh, Summer of Soul, and Navalny. So I think Beyond Utopia is pretty safe as a third one. Um, And in the Eternal Memory, I have in fourth um, because it has five mentions from the above, though. That is probably one of the weaker ones. Um, of the remaining, uh, the uh, the ones that have four mentions are Four Daughters, Going to Mars, Nikki Giovanni Project, Stamped from the Beginning. Um, those, I would say, of those, I would say Four Daughters is probably the safest because it also has the international mention as well. Now, notably, the one that is missing is Still. Um, now, that it did not appear at Doc NYC. That's my biggest reason for excluding it. That said, it would get to seven mentions if it gets nominated at the BAFTAs. It won the it won the Critics Choice and the National Board of Review Best Documentary. Um, so that would be a pretty big miss. That being said, historically, it seems like musical biopics they don't like, musical films they don't like, just 
like pop culture biopics i don't think they really seem to like the biggest mention the biggest snub in this in my opinion was um won't you be my 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 neighbor um from a couple of years ago about mr rogers which if i'm not mistaken no, let me pull up my list here that had 11 mentions across the 12 right <laughs> so yeah if that missed i michael j fox could easily very much miss as well um i'm also gonna fade uh uh, Giovanni going to Mars. I'd say like a, a space film. It seems they don't like space films based off of uh, Apollo 11 getting oh, mentions and getting getting missed and missing there. So again, just to, just to recap, right? I, that's a lot of words, but uh, 20 Days in Mario Paul, American Symphony, Beyond Utopia, Four Daughters, and Eternal Memory are my five. Yeah, I, I agree with what you said. The, the Dark Branch is such a weird one where still seems to be you know like the easiest shoe-in of getting people to care about this category i think it's a critic's love i think it's one that critics love maybe not the industry loves perhaps yeah i don't know um but i have a similar top four american symphony 20 days beyond utopia and four daughters and then my sort of wild card is to kill a tiger uh it was very much of i'm just gonna pick one of the ones that were from the list that you you weren't expecting so that was that was my rationale there um not much behind it and then uh my wish where it did not make the shortlist probably wasn't even considered is a movie called satan wants you uh is a documentary i absolutely adored from last year i had the chance to interview the directors great guys but it's about uh the start of the satanic panic and how uh one book uh sort of started everything in the 80s and it's free to stream on tubi so if you're interested in learning about the satanic panic it's a it's a great little documentary to check out awesome so that is all of the categories, aside from the sorts. Um, all right, Dakota, t- let's tally it up. How many films do you have total um, across Best Picture, the winners that, that the, the above the lines that aren't in Best Picture, technical only categories, and these international documentary and, and animated films? Um, I currently have forty-one total, which is exactly matches the all-time record, at least the last five years record for most number of nominations in a given number of uh of nominated films i think or it's very similar to, to it not not tight it's very similar sorry yeah i have 39 which is you know two less than you so right in the same wavelength i feel like both of us can kind of be plus minus one and that's probably what the final count is going to be around all right so yeah i mean we in the past i've done episodes on hey here are my 40 films for you to check um i think given some of the changes lately i'm i, I might have to update the final list um you know right before the the the, the nominations um but i'm feeling pretty good I, I got the most most of it done we'll, we'll be obviously after the nominations doing an accountability check to see how good i am at, at predicting this sort of thing <laughs> Um, you know, we've, we've mentioned some films that, that we wish would get nominated. Um, I have a couple more that, that if you don't mind going over that, I wish we get some recognition that probably won't. Um, Priscilla, I think don't, not in any of my nominations, you know, Kaylee Spaney, the costumes, the hair and makeup, right? All of these, I think should have been nominated, should be nominated, um, in some way or another, but unfortunately I don't think will, um, I'm Loki the most sad about Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves not mm. making it. Um, it did poorly at the box office, only $93 million. It released poorly between John Wick th- uh, 4 and the Mario Brothers movie. Um, so just a poor release window. Amazing movie. I think it's most people's surprise of the year of how good it actually was. And the thing is, they did a lot of it practically. They could have gotten, if, if the stunts category was here, it could have gotten in. They did most of the costumes, most of the sets was actually practical. Um, sorry, there's some CG elements, of course, but a lot of it was practical. Like the 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 bird people were practical and so on. So that would have been nice to see. 
um, John Wick 4, right, for cinematography. Again, if we had a Suns category, it could have been in there. Um, you know, it's been a great great film franchise, and I think it's going to continue on with the spinoffs. Um, and then, uh, kind of a joke, but Cocaine Bear actually had legitimately good bear CGI, I think. Um, but yeah, uh, other than that, you know, we mentioned Monster, and then I'll throw in the first Slam Dunk as a ja- as a Japanese anime film. But of course, they're not going to not recognize any anime outside of Miyazaki at this point, so... Um, yeah, I have a a couple of similar ones. If, if I was to go purely based on ones that I thought had realistic shots of maybe getting some nominations, I think Priscilla is up there. Uh, the Royal Hotel, the new Kitty Green movie, uh, would have been great to see. Are you there, God? It's me, Margaret. I heard that one a lot. I heard that one a lot. All right. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if we, like, gets like a random one-off nomination somewhere in, in, in an actress or, or, or screenplay maybe. Supporting actress would be great because you could put either Rachel McAdams or Kathy Bates in there, and they are both so strong. What about sewing up? I know you mentioned it a couple times. That would be another one that uh, that I'd probably consider of I wish could be in there. It's directed by Kelly Riker, who does have, a, I believe, a couple of her films have gotten nominations in the past. Not really. She's never really broken through to that like mainstream. She needs a uh, Chloe Zhao moment, success. basically. Yes, she does. She needs a Chloe Zhao moment for mm-hmm. sure. Um, she's been in this you know, for about 20 years, constantly putting out great small little films, always attracts top tier talent to her films, yeah. and showing up was, was no exception. Yeah, I mean, Bo is afraid, right? I think had a mm-hmm. had a had a shot maybe at like makeup or something. I think it missed though. Uh, I think it missed um, like a, the the Guild Award. I think if that if that came out, um, and then Dream Scenario as well, yes. right? Um, maybe it's a screenplay or something. But I don't think you know. Just it's just a very very strong year at the very top. So you know, um, yeah. it is what it is. But uh, hey, that's the Oscars for you. Um, yeah, I think honestly looking at this list it's a very solid list uh, absent a few things i i would uh i would wish were there and maybe a couple things i wish weren't in there um but you know that that's the oscars every year uh what about you what do you think overall yeah overall i'm i'm pretty happy with what we're predicting and sort of what's going to be on my watch list to come uh i yeah, I, I think it's been a, a very good year for movies. Like, I, I can't complain mm-hmm. that we get to watch great movies. Like, that that's our punishment oh, is we get to watch what, great what a, movies. What a burden for us to bear. <laughs> Other than Flaming Hot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm predicting if, if Slash when I get nominated, that again, once again, it's going to be my final film of the Death Race. Um, <laughs> you, I don't know how you do it. It's always like I see you on the Discord channel being like, oh, the Oscars started in five minutes. I got four minutes left of the movie. Yeah, I mean... That's my own fault. I think I, I put too much effort into the deathies and all the skits I make <laughs> for them. So I fall behind. Um, all right. Uh, to wrap up, you know, obviously, any other films that had no shot at being nominated for the Oscars that you want to side out? You've already started out How to Blow Up a Pipeline. But aside from that, anything else? Yeah, Monster, Blackberry. Uh, probably should include the Iron Claw in that, even though I did predict it for a nomination. Mm. Um, oh, what else, really? It's... I, I was quite surprised with a haunting in Venice. I quite like that one, so that would have been good great. Score, good score. Mm-hmm. I think Lily Gladstone actually gives a better performance in a movie called Fancy Dance than Killers of the Flower Moon, so that would have been pretty cool. Zero shot there. Uh, theater Camp for its song, stuff mm. like that. They clone Tyrone. Adam. Has some amazing costumes, hairstyling, and uh, the cinematography as well. Did you watch Bottoms? I haven't seen it, but I've heard good things about it. I did. I did watch Bottoms. It was a fun movie. I wouldn't consider it for any reason in my Oscar mm. picks. And not, not just Oscars, right? Just like in general, good movies. It is a good movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, I feel like we, we've kind of covered basically all of them that are really in contention. Scream 6, I really love that one. Yeah. <laughs> no Scream 7, that's going to happen. Um, uh, yeah. Let's not uh, talk about any films for 2024 you're looking forward to? We have Mean Girls coming out this weekend, but you know anything else? Obviously, your boy Denny Villeneuve, uh, Canadian boy, is uh, is having his film finally come out. But any others this year you're looking forward to? Uh, I think the biggest one is Nosferatu, the Robert Eggers movie. I uh, I filled out your form with, with with the predictions, and I can't remember what I filled out for for all ten slots. It's so hard because like you basically only know what are the big studio tentpole movies are for the most part. And if I was to look, most of the movies I have on the top of my list from this past year, I hadn't heard of them from January. Yeah, like, exactly. I, I I did the whole like, hey, here are people most anticipated. Here's what I did. Now, granted, Oppenheimer and Barbie were both there, but I mean, those are big studio films. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, let me see if I can pull yours up live while I'm doing this here. Uh, okay, here. Your, I mean, you, you had Monster as your number one of the year. Um, let's see. Scroll over. Your number one was Furiosa, actually. Oh, really? Interesting. I'm surprised yeah. I did that, not Nosferatu. Uh, yeah, I'm excited for the Mad Max sequel. It you, looks yeah, fun. I'm, I love I'm it. Gonna be, I'm going to expose you. Read, you'll read yours off. So you had Furiosa, <laughs> Mean Girls, Godzilla vs. Kong, uh, Civil War, the A24 film, of course, uh, The Fall Guy, The Bike Riders, Gladiator 2, Dune Part 2, and Drive Away Dolls. Yeah, uh, it really was, was a, a little bit of like, eh, I'm kind of excited about this. I'll put it in there. I don't think any of it's a very definitive rating of my level of excitement just I mean, movies I'm for the mickey 17 oh, with from bong joon ho so yeah yeah, yeah that's another good one Dude, those, those always good films all right um dakota as always it's been a pleasure it was almost two hours in uh but yeah it's a long episode we have we have this is important work for the people it is it is yes. all right well good luck hope that your predictions do well hope that mine do well do a little bit better um and then we'll uh we'll see how the how it all comes down on, on nomination day a week from today Thank you so much for having me back. It's a real pleasure. And of course, you are going to be back on the ContraZoom podcast as well once the Oscar nominations come out. Yeah. And speaking of, where can people find you and ContraZoom Pod? Well, uh, our website is ContraZoomPod.com. All stuff is there, including some great movie reviews by Paulo himself and many other great writers. Uh, All social media channels at ContraZoomPod. We're on every single podcasting platform. So whatever you use, we are there and you can listen to us. Uh, we are going to have some Oscar nomination live reaction. Not, we won't be live, but reactions once the nominations come out uh, a week after this episode drops. So you'll get to hear my uh, immediate thoughts of what I am surprised and disappointed by and what I'm going to have to force myself to watch. And then there's going to be tons of great Oscar content all Oscar season. Yep. And then you also have the letterbox as well, as well right? I do, yes. I recently switched my username to ContraZoom Pod uh, just to sort of branding. keep all of my socials together. Yes. Hashtag awesome. branding. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dakota, thanks very much. Uh, yeah. Good luck. Have, have fun going back to work on Superman and Lewis. Uh, and, you know, we'll, 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 see, we'll be in touch soon. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Paul. All right. See ya. Thanks again to Dakota for hopping on this episode. As always, links to all of his stuff will be in the show notes uh, below, including my various reviews for ContraZoom Pod. Be sure you subscribe, listen, check out his Leatherboxed. Um, and hey, you know, I'll probably, like he said, be on one of his episodes in the future. I'll be sure to link that in the future, in the future uh, show notes when that drops. 
Now, as promised, uh, some updates to the technical basis uh, since the time I recorded this with Dakota. Uh, on the cinematography side, uh, there were two guilds in question for here that have infected the race, uh, the American and the British Cinematographer Society. Uh, now, between the two, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and Kills of the Flower Moon, and Maestro, those four got nominated at both, so I say they were pretty safe. Uh, the last slot is somewhat up in the air. Saltburn, uh, who I had in, uh, was nominated at the British, uh, British uh, Society, uh, but not at the American Society. Uh, Eric Lockman, who is known cinematographer, you know, been nominated before, uh, was nominated at the uh, ASC for El Conde, an Italian film, but not at the BSC. And then Gold Derby's number five film, uh, Zone of Interest, was nominated at neither, unfortunately. Um, so depending on how BAFTA nominations go, that last air is up in the slot, um, but it could very well be El Conde is a late surprise in the race. Uh, for the visual effects, uh, we have some reports from the Bake Off, uh, you know, that, that uh, you know, specific thing where the shortlisted nominees can go present uh, to the guild members on what they did differently, um, as well as also some nominations from the Visual Effects Society. Uh, leading the nominations uh, were both the Crater and Guardians of the Galaxy, with seven and six respectively, so no surprise there. Society of Snow got two nominations, uh, but Poor Things and Godzilla Minus One both missed at VES entirely, which doesn't bode well for them. Now, instead, Indiana Jones 5 was the last shortlisted film to make the top category uh, for photoreal visual effects. Um, Spider-Verse did get six nominations, but again, there is some debate within the guild of whether animated film visual effects count as photoreal visual effects for this category. Um, in any case, uh, you know, we'll see that if, if it becomes the first animated film nominated for this, that's not stop motion. Uh, that being said, reports from the Bake Off suggest that uh, Godzilla Minus One was the favorite, you know, got the biggest applause, um, so it may still have a shot, but again, I would say here, I would put maybe it in the last slot uh, against uh, Indiana Jones, um, maybe. And it could very well be that uh, Poor Things just doesn't make it in. Uh, finally, for sound, there are two guilds at play here, the MPSC for sound editors and CAS for sound mixing. CAS, four of the five I predicted, made the top category, Oppenheimer, Maestro, Flower Moon, and Ferrari, with Barbie being the fifth one getting a nom. For MPSC, there wasn't the top category per se, but in terms of total nomination across categories, Oppenheimer had three, Maestro, Barbie, Spider-Verse, and Napoleon each had two, and Kills the Flower Moon and Ferrari only had one each. So I would say you probably consider Oppenheimer, Maestro, Barbie as pretty safe. The last two are up in the air between Flower Moon, Ferrari, who were the two CAS nominees, and then Napoleon, who's the multi-nominee for MPSC. Notably, Zone of Interest, who I had in the fifth slot, didn't really get much love from the guilds, um, only really getting the foreign language category at uh, MPSC, so maybe not be as successful as I hope it would. In any case, these two, these, with these updates, I hope between these and the BAFTAs, you'll be able to complete uh, your entry into my nomination prediction contest. We only have about 13 people submitting so far. A link to that will be in the show notes. And while I have you, you know, the AODR Film Festival is coming to a close on January 21st. So be sure to check that out as well at AODR.net. That's wraps up this episode of the Oscars Death Race podcast. Let me know how your Death Race prep is going on Twitter at OscarsDRaceCast or via email at OscarsDeathRacePodcast at gmail.com. Make sure you're subscribed to the show on your podcast service of choice, uh, iTunes, Spotify, wherever. Uh, if you can leave us a review or just share with a friend who loves movies, any of that helps. Uh, everything will be linked in the show notes, including my letterbox account under the username NinjaBoy, Boyer than I. Make sure to check out the Oscar Rates and Oscars Death Race subreddits and the Academy of Death Race's Discord as well as AODR.net, OscarsDeathRace.com, and DeathRaceTracking.com. Music provided by Kevin MacLeod at Incompetent.Fumers.io. Editing production by Ninja Boy Media. That's it for this week. This has been Paulo of the Oscars Death Race podcast. And until next time, I'll be here trying to watch all the Oscar nominees or die trying.